0: Digital Drift, episode 64, recorded Saturday, the 9th of May, 2015, Avengers, Age of Ultron. Welcome back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcasts. I'm your host, Alex Shaw. With me, as always, is my wife and co-host, Sharon. Hello. And I've gathered as many of our original team of MCU podcast reviewers, starting with Mr. Joshua Garrity from Kane & Wince in the Animation Archives. Hello there. Hello. Another regular fixture, Mr. Jerome McIntosh of Game Burst.
1: Good day, sir.
0: And for his first movie review since Guardians of the Galaxy, Mr. Lauren Grieve didn't see that coming. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> In <laughs> Soviet Russia, that sees you coming. This was an unusual experience for me. See, after seeing Avengers Assemble, and I'm going to use its British title for now, just to differentiate it on this show, because when you say the first Avengers, it sounds rather similar to the first Avenger. So, mm. I was finally delivered. With Avengers Assembled, the Marvel team-up I had waited for my whole life. And the next two movies, Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World, kind of got me thinking it was harder to go back now, now that this barrier had been breached. In fact, I was even in two minds about seeing Winter Soldier. I was like, eh, Cap 3, I'm not sure if I'm going to see that. I'll wait for the reviews. <laughs> then I saw Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier. And I realized the problem wasn't that I couldn't enjoy heroes on their own again. It was just that Iron Man 3 and The Dark World were weaker movies in the grander scheme of things. Winter Soldier is in many ways better than Avengers Assemble. Then Guardians of the Galaxy came along and delivered yet another incredible group film. Which brings me to Age of Ultron. Now surely if Cap was brilliant, then Cap, Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, Black Widow, Hawkeye, Fury, Maria Hill, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, Vision and Ultron would be even better. Well, yes and no. What Winter Soldier had that Ultron lacks is spearheaded focus. One of the things that people worried uh, back in the day that Whedon would not be able to manage with Avengers Assemble uh, sort of comes to pass here in the sort of too many heroes bracket. In fact, if you throw in War Machine and Falcon, it's positively bursting at the seams. But that's not a complaint. I adore this movie, and it is pretty much impossible to balance everyone with this expanded cast But it's so goddamn gratifying to see everyone they've done gathered together in one go. And yet everyone gets their moment. They get a moment. Possibly with the exception of Hill. It's just not as simple as one hero good, many heroes better. Not anymore. Look at Brian Singer's overflowing X-Men Days of Future Past for a great example of how sometimes peppering the screen with too much spandex gets overwhelming and ends with too many examples of window dressing with nothing to say or do other than show off their mad powers in a robot fight. That's why every every time we get a new announcement as to who's going to be in the new uh, X-Men apocalypse, I'm like, yeah, and so what? So what? Psylocke's in it it, it? it doesn't matter. She was technically in X-Men 3. She made as Im- as much impact in that as she will in this, I'm going to go ahead and guess. This idea that more is not necessarily better is a good thing. It's a great thing, in fact. It means there is massive hope for Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, and yes, even Little Ant-Man. It means they don't absolutely need an ensemble to be the best. So while Marvel changed the game, it's reassuring to know that great storytelling and characters that we want to spend a lot of time with are still the cornerstones, and it doesn't have to be the Avengers every single time. What struck me about Age of Ultron itself was something that had been bothering me that Max Landis said in one of his videos. He was talking about superheroes having punching contests in the middle of a city while buildings crumble and innocent people die around them. I've always noted firmly and maintained this, that the Battle of New York in Avengers Assemble contained a hell of a lot of crowd safety measures, with the Avengers moving people into buildings and trying to clear streets and prevent calamity, rather than using the environment as a weapon and damn the folks who get in the way. This is what disgusted people about... Anybody? Man of Steel. Man of Steel. Everyone everyone at home was muttering that to themselves. How could Zack Snyder not think that was a thing? But I mean, even if like it's retroactively like he gets, you know, this gets he gets hauled over the coals in um, Batman versus Superman. It, it's kind of like, a, yeah, people were mentioning that this was unconscionable and um, we we can kind of see your point now. But Age of Ultron lays his hat down immediately and makes it clear that the real people caught in this conflict and the heroes prerogative to protect them This is brought up and dealt with so often and drives the narrative of the film so as to become one of the central tenets. The Maximoff twins are motivated by their family's deaths as collateral damage in bombings with Stark Tech back before Tony had a heart. The Avengers struggle over and over again to protect an initial surly and mistrustful crowd who understandably do not like Stark's faceless automatons. And every instance, Of reckless behavior is more than soundly balanced by this ethos. And I'll go you one further than that. Nearly all superhero movies since 2002 have been about coping with 9-11, re-confronting the horror and replaying it with capes to get a more desirable result. We've had 10 times the skyscrapers falling down than we've had female heroes, But this one placed the Avengers firmly into the role of analogues to the emergency service workers who risked and gave their lives pulling people out of the rubble. I would say America will grow out of revisiting these feelings in a safe environment, but Japan still goes crazy for Godzilla, the analog of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So we're looking at unilateral emotional scarring here and the coping mechanisms that arise within entertainment as a result. Tony's determination to build a strong suit of armour around the world and from that a robotic peacekeeping force is absolutely a reaction to a terror threat that comes from seemingly nowhere, strikes at an exposed nerve and damages in a way that is impossible and indeed inadvisable to completely forget. See, the best thing about this trend seems to be that the better superhero, or other disaster films, show the similarities and shared losses of all the people of this world, not just New Yorkers, Los Angelans, Londoners, Gothamites, or Metropolitans. And in this one, we begin to understand and empathise with those that caused the harm and devastation. Hulk, looking out at the people he's terrified in his angry confusion. The twins who came from a happy life shattered by warfare, that they had nothing to do with just looking to rebalance things by pointing their anger in what they perceive is the right direction and they might not even be wrong even ultron ends up seemingly naive and idealistic acting out of fear and self-preservation rather than nefarious malice these are significant steps forward and away from the green goblin in his power ranger suit who wants to rule new york for reasons most of all, though, what I get from Age of Ultron was the ebb and flow of the call to action. Tony wants out of the superhero game, but is terrified of leaving the planet without protection, his blackest vision being the death of his friends as the first line of defense. Friends being a relatively new concept to Stark, as all of the rest of his nearest and dearest are his employees, Pepper and Happy, and his friend Rhodey, who... Well, Pepper's not his employee anymore, but you get my point... And his friend, Rhodey, who almost seems more like an exasperated colleague. Notably, Tony lingered on Steve Rogers' broken, unbreakable shield and went to him first to check for signs of life. Steve, as a man given new life by Howard Stark, not to mention the shield, is, in effect, Tony's brother. And the rivalry and respect maturing between them is, thanks to contract renegotiations, definitely going somewhere. Steve doesn't know how to quit. He even alludes to the man he used to be, one who could envision settling down, dying, back on the plane crash seven decades ago. He will keep going until somebody, or something, makes him stop. Steve is a soldier through and through, and tragically for him, nobody, not one person in existence, can bid the man to be at ease. Thor quit being a god and accepted his place on Earth in the original Thor. Then he was made into a god again and quit Earth to go back to Asgard. Then he quit Asgard and went back to Earth again, leaving Odin on the throne and minus an errant brother. In Age of Ultron, he also seems to want to stop whatever he's doing, and that takes him back to Asgard to investigate possible signs of a Ragnarok. More than anyone else, for this reason, Thor is the most tossed and turned by his immediate plot – The extreme distance coupled with major responsibility for nine realms, or just one of them, pulling him in multiple directions. It is more pressure than most of us could take, and his simplicity of character makes us forget just how grave an import his every decision entails. It seems for him, either he has to take the throne after all, and become the Allfather, forever keeping him from the simpler life he's begun to covet, or else he needs to be relieved of all burdens, including his power, his role, and perhaps even his life. Fury is already retired, no longer the director of anything, just an old man. This is signified by a hat, by the way. He never wore a hat before, but now he has a hat. But just when he thinks he's out, they pull him back in! Or rather, he voluntarily gears up to save the fucking day and is flying battleship, repurposed as the purveyor of badly needed lifeboats. This equates to what Steve dubs SHIELD as it should be, putting the people first and attacking in the ancillary. Notably, Maria Hill is one of the only characters who expresses no preference for stopping or continuing. Technically, she is Fury's successor and is very much still running on what may be a long career path, the benevolence of which being down to her ethical decisions. Hawkeye clearly has an exit strategy planned, giving the film one of its greatest strings of tension, presenting us with a wonderful, fragile family setting and then setting up a sort of Damocles precariously above it. Natasha says to Banner twice that she wants to disappear, with him, allowing them both to forget the torment and misdeeds of their monstrous pasts. Banner, unlike Natasha, cannot see peace or quiet, however you define them, with another person around. While he is self-absorbed because he has chosen absolute responsibility of the Hulk, he is also utterly selfless and thinks of everybody else before himself. Even the Hulk seems to want an end to the chaos, but then he always does. The twins go from street urchins to augmented, manipulated weapons released onto the battlefield like hounds, only to end up without a master or a direction, mistakenly throwing their lot in with Ultron, responding to his idealism and anger at Stark. Ultimately, they see his true intentions, joining the Avengers to do the most good with their young lives. In Pietro's case, this comes down to laying down that life by shielding not only a new companion he and his sister have come to respect, but a young boy just as terrified of the meaningless carnage going on around him as Pietro was at 10 years old, losing his family. What dies with him is the potential to save future lives. What lives because of this sacrifice is a warrior who has earned his rest. A family stays whole. A child is returned to his mother. A sister mourns a brother who has become her whole world. Wanda is one of the brightest stars of the story, a whirlwind of emotions dealing in fear and tinkering with the minds of others. She distances herself from the girl she could have been and plays up to the witch role. It's not until she's confronted by Hawkeye's simple bravery in the face of overwhelming odds. He's helping defend off the most advanced army of technological war machines on Earth with his millennia-old weapon constructed from a piece of string and a fucking stick. He could die any second. He has so much to lose. And through Wanda's terror, he is able to reach her core desire to protect and to fight for all the people that cannot do that. This, combined with the loss of her brother through an act of absolutely selfless heroism, is what could well make her one of the bravest, most determined fighters in the Marvel Universe. And then there's Ultron. A being created to protect, whose immediate instinct is to lash out and tear apart his first guide. Ultron is a brilliant child, Tony Stark himself, without those vital life lessons and cultural mores that prevent him doing the unthinkable, because he has nobody but himself to relate to, and because in his binary world, it's populated only by people who are either him or not him. His natural childlike instinct is to redress this balance. Ultron is just beginning, and he celebrates his birthday by deciding it should be everybody else's death day. Through fear of an oncoming apocalypse, and at what stage in man's development has the end times not been hovering just off the horizon, through arrogance and inability to empathise, his broken, messy plan ultimately boils down to hitting the earth so hard that everybody goes away. He's the worst of Tony, Thor, and Hulk, a raging toddler, unable to properly assess his place in the world, and his only hope may have been his symbolic parent. Vision Jarvis, his brother, looks at all this chaos and order and sees beauty, even in the inevitable ending of it all. He says, with absolute conviction, that we as a race are not going to make it. We're going to die. This is the most horrifying thought to lay down in a summer blockbuster. 99 times out of 100, the aliens attack, the humans win, with a cunning plan that exploits the one weak spot they aren't guarding. We stand in the rubble and look at the sky, well credits. This film just said, we're doomed. And it wasn't a villain threatening. It was the calm, sad assurance of a being who is absolutely wise and good. You go with Tony's futuristic point of view and eventually biological life will merge with the mechanical, balancing an age-long equation and naturally evolving the relationship that started the moment an ape picked up a stone. It needs to be that kind of jump. There isn't time to physically evolve to the environment of our planet that we're changing every year. But if that doesn't happen, we'll die. That's what Vision knows in his heart. But rather than Optimus Prime in the Bay films reminding his disinterested human companions that their race is simply awesome every goddamn film, Vision possesses a wide enough view of existence to appreciate its rise and peak, and then its decline. He is not afraid of our death or his own, and that puts him above both us and Ultron, who represents our darkest side with a gloriously refreshing confusion rarely represented by major villains of the screen. We're all just children. Some of us just play at being grown ups better than others. On the doorstep of Phase 3, we still have time to enjoy the culmination of this first age of heroes as they usher in the new. Roles are going to pass over, maybe more lives are going to be lost, and after the dust settled, new heroes will be standing on the front line. What Age of Ultron has done is further highlight the humanity at the core of this transition from old to new, the beating hearts behind the legends carved in marble at its ending. Well, okay, well, shall we start with Tony Stark? I mean, he really is kind of... This is his party.
2: It's always his party.
0: (laughs) How is Captain America going to hold his own in a film when it is basically Captain America 3, The Starkening?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I felt like uh, this film represented a character growth uh, in Tony that I was missing from Iron Man 3 for me um, just kind of expanding his fear of what happened during the Avengers and um, taking that further, trying to take that to um, the the logical extreme uh, for Tony um, it's, uh, it is a bit disappointing that not so much for this film but for Iron Man 3 really mm. that a lot of what happened in Iron Man Three seems a bit irrelevant
0: here. Yep. Um, I was hoping that this film might develop, and and uh, since Iron Man Three might like take on a whole new aspect, I was saying. Uh, yeah. I remember when I, I held off on reviewing the thing for ages. I was like, no, no, no. We'll wait. We'll see how the universe develops because it might be that Tony Stark learns a hell of a lot from this, or that you know that this has huge impact. It's almost like Iron Man Three didn't fucking happen. Yeah. Even um, down to the point that at the very end, he's like, "What? Going to destroy all my suits? Now I'm going to build them again." Yeah, it's almost like Joss Whedon saw Iron Man Three went, "Well, I can't use any of that." <laughs> well, like you didn't consult me. We didn't like. We didn't establish what the fuck was going to happen in Avengers Two.
2: Oh
3: dear. And and it's it's a shame because there are areas where they've obviously had to compromise for Iron Man Three. I I I mean I don't. Uh, I do not uh, do not like
0: the decision to remove the uh, the arc reactor. Isn't from, he a uh, lot less iconic now when he's, yeah. he's wandering around? He doesn't have that glow to him. He's less dynamic as a character. And I, uh, I, I don't.
3: I, the thing is, I don't. Where the He's still in the fucking Iron Man suits. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's what. That's the problem. It's you've taken away something that makes. Iron Man fragile as a character, mm. uh, Tony fragile as a character, and now he's just uh, he's just a billionaire. A, a billionaire in a in a giant robot suit. Now that's actually simplifying things. I really, I still really like Tony, and Tony has a lot of great moments in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just this is and, 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 it, and to be and, rather than yeah, yeah yeah. I I I don't feel like. It's this film's fault, really. That's the that's the problem. I I feel like I'm criticizing this film for stuff that's Iron Man Free's fault. And um, ultimately, like the moments that are uniquely this film's moments with Tony, I really enjoy. He has some of the best humor in the film. Um, like the, the and Joss Whedon, like he can just churn out one liners like nobody else. Um, the the bit where he says. <laughs> Uh, when he when they're uh, invading that bunker and he goes, can we can we talk? <laughs> and just uh, paralyzes everyone. And then he goes, good talk. Like no, moments like that. <laughs> yeah, moments like that. Like those filled with great Tony moments like that. But ultimately, it's just a shame that he and he doesn't feel as strong as, as as strong a character as some of the other characters in this film yeah. which is a shame because if if i was talking about the first avengers he would have absolutely been one of my favorite characters in that movie yeah. whereas here i think he gets outshined by other people
4: i think in part though there is, there are benefits to that because there is a tendency for everything to dissolve into the tony show
5: mm. and yeah.
4: um by Giving him slightly less screen time and giving him slightly less character development than other people who are around him, um, I think that gives other characters the opportunity to to come to the fore, which in something like this, where, you, yes, you have a handful of characters who've had a great deal of development in their own films, you also have a number of characters who still have not had their own movie yeah. And characters that we've only just met who are obviously going to need um, as much development as they can cram in for them. I think one very important element of this is that you get to see Tony's fragility in other ways. Yeah. Literally, you get to see his character flaws externalized. He embodies his shoulder angel and his shoulder demon effectively. Yeah. Um, and you get to see his. all that. Um, the, the really interesting stuff in Iron Man 3, the, uh, the post-traumatic stress disorder flashbacks, the obsession with the idea that he couldn't protect mm. the things that were the most important to him, and that what that came down to was that he was still terrified about the fact that he nearly died. You
0: mean the 10 um, minutes of drama hidden amongst the goofball comedy?
4: Exactly, exactly. And I think what we got to see in this was that made more of... And um, this this idea that he had about wanting to put a suit of armor around the world—that is a very, um, if you look at it carefully, that's a very self-defensive thing to want to do because he's in the world. That suit of armor is going to protect him too. And although it's his um, his new, well, it's not really newfound anymore, but his um, his his desire to um, look after the the rest of the people in the world uh, that is as you say it's a child's desire to protect mm-hmm. because the the more mature developed Um, I'm scared that something is going to happen to hurt everybody and there's nothing I can do, says, but there's nothing I can do and there are other ways that we learn to deal with this, maybe by helping those other people to protect themselves, maybe, you know, by by doing other things that don't involve standing back and going, well, clearly I'm the centre of this universe and I'm the only one who can do anything to Hmm. protect this.
0: So you're saying basically vision is Tony without
4: all the shit? Um, I'm saying that... uh, He's kind of one step beyond that because he gets externalised and therefore takes on a a way of looking at the world on his own. His perception of where the human race is ultimately going is one that I don't think even Tony is capable of. Yeah. Because although he is a very far-seeing man, Mm. he is just a man, and Vision goes beyond that. Vision is detached from the idea that the human race is something... Um, that that must be at all costs preserved and um, and protected
3: yeah T- tony is a man who's afraid to lose control over a situation and and I think that's what leads him down the path he he goes down in this movie he just he that whole idea of a suit around the world feels like the inverse of what hydra were doing in 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 the winter soldier yeah uh, in the winter soldier hydra were pointing a gun at everyone and saying that's peace whereas tony is pointing a gun out into space and going that's peace yeah, like it, it's point. it's yeah he's He's just doing, yeah. He's just going the opposite way round. Um, That's a fine it's, point. It's
0: not actually a shield. Yeah, it's, it's a gun. It's a sword. Yeah, but and, he's been hauled over the coals for calling a shield a sword in the as a sword a shield in the past.
3: Yeah, and you could, and it's understandable why Steve has the reaction he has to um, Tony's proposed plan because. Yeah. Steve has encountered all of this multiple times in the past yeah. and it always
0: ends terribly. I um, love his uh, line about every time someone tries to win a war before it starts, innocent people get hurt. That's such a great line. Yeah.
2: As someone, uh, and I don't want to speak out of turn, but I might be the person on the podcast who likes Iron Man 3 like a lot. I, that may or may not be wrong, but um, <laughs> that's, it's actually my favorite of the three Iron Mans. And, wow, uh, seriously? Okay. Yes.
0: What, what did it achieve?
2: So, well, uh, if, if you go back to the, the, digital, uh, the, the digital Gonzo episode on oh, Iron Man were, 3, you, were, my essay, you did a whole
0: essay, didn't you? Yeah. I did an
2: essay for it because I liked that it was more of a, um, a character piece, mm. more of a personal story of that. It was, I have I difficulty
0: was, remembering now. like four people did essays for that one.
2: Yeah, that was a big one. Yeah. Um, but uh, I really liked Iron Man 3, but I totally agree that there needed to be a better kind of hook to this movie, especially since so the big thing about Iron Man three is he was trying to create every kind of suit you could imagine for every possible situation, and in in, in this one you see that he still only has the one. Well, two if you count Veronica, yeah. Um, and which I guess is kind of a specialized purpose. Banner helped him make it in the first place, um, but he's he's trying to. It's it bothered me a little bit because instead of going from I'm going to make a suit for every possible situation so I can never be caught unprepared, yeah. he's like, you know what? I'm going to make a suit for the entire world so I never have to worry about different suits. It'll just do everything. Mm. And it, it, I do, I That's feel ridiculous. Like it, it
0: needs to be totally adaptable.
2: Exactly, and I feel like it. um or, or it, it either needs to be totally adaptable or completely lock the world in some kind of a stasis so it never needs to adapt.
0: Like, what if you get attacked by an alien that basically uh, that Ultron can't handle? Yeah.
2: Then you're screwed. Yeah. Exactly. And that's I, I feel like a little bit of the character growth, a little bit of what they did in Iron Man 3 is kind of undone by uh, mm. Stark's perspective, in the, at least in the beginning of this. But I also feel like a lot of his motivations are based on uh, just kind of trying to clean up uh, what he's already done. Because you see in the beginning, like, he's got the one suit, he's got the backup suit for if the Hulk goes out of hand, Mm. but – you don't have much of a reason to think that he's got more of his own personal suit for that going into that. What he, I would think in his mind would have been his final battle. Cause if you think about it, if he went in there, got the scepter, which was one of the only loose threads left for Tony's previous adventures, mm. uh, then he makes Ultron and it works. Then he's done just, you know, retire, go to a little farm upstate with pepper and build tractors or whatever. But, um, <laughs> but Hello, it, dear. <laughs> oh, just don't make it walk around um, so but the, the, the problem is by trying to clean up his last big mistake or at least in his mind what was a big mistake on the part of him and his team he makes a new one and then has to try to clean that up I feel like there's a lot of that as a theme going throughout it's just trying to like, fix things and then screwing it up more and trying to fix those
0: or possibly no good deed goes unpunished that, yeah. <laughs> that,
4: to me, though, is part of what makes Tony interesting, because if he didn't have that, he would be a very dull character. And I think one of the things that struck me about Tony in this one, and it's weird because this is probably the one in which he does the least that's like this. But if you take away the uh, the witty remarks and the um, the incredible speed with which he thinks and reacts to things and the charm, he's president business. He wants to. <laughs> he wants to fix everything, because he is. Um, so basically, he's
0: the comic version of Stark.
4: Yeah, <laughs> he, he's he's trying to. Um, uh, like you said about the the stasis, he's trying to protect everybody. The ultimate conclusion to this is he's going to end up trying to protect the human race from itself, you want and to that save means.
0: The world, but you don't want it to change.
4: But you you can't. Um, Uh, not protect it from itself as a a mass but protect each individual human from each other and he can't do that he can't be everywhere at once he can't think of everything the reason that the a suit for every possible eventuality was doomed is because the kind of mind that tony has he will think of a new eventuality every hour for the rest of his life so for for his i know what you mean about the the character growth apparently being lost lauren but I don't think it's lost. I think it's just that Tony is so intricately messed up that it was actually too neat in Iron Man 3 for him to have resolved all of that.
0: Yes, and a that's part why it didn't of me ring true.
4: Yeah, a part of me at the end of that movie was going, "Nah, this isn't going to stick because he could he he did the work to fix it, but he didn't really do the work to fix it. He, he did what he thought would solve the problem and said to himself, right, I am now going to switch all this off. Well, anybody who's ever experienced any kind of anxiety will know that instructing your brain not to think about the things that make you anxious is about the worst possible thing that you can do for it.
2: <laughs> yeah. And the uh, I, I did appreciate that the, he still clearly has some of that PTSD because just I mean, from, you know, my background, I have a bit of psych history, from the healthcare perspective. And uh, a person doesn't come out of PTSD instantaneously, even from uh, kind of exposure therapy, which was a lot of what Iron Man 3 was all about. So seeing at the end of Iron Man 3 where it's like, oh, wow, like everything's good. No, no, it can't be. That's not, I mean, that's just, I mean, it's hard to say, oh, that's unrealistic in a comic book film, but that would have been completely ridiculous. So I appreciate they still had that. I just feel that it would have been nice to have some, like a bit more of a linkage. Uh, there was a an interview I read uh, about, uh, with Robert Downey Jr., about how uh, Tony Stark went from Iron Man 3 to Age of Ultron, and he didn't make a real good case. Uh, like, reading back over his comments, it seemed a bit jumbled, a bit hard to follow, and I don't think even he had a real good handle on how the character transitioned. So I just feel like that that transition could have been a bit stronger. But I still, I, I think it works, especially like once you get to the end of the movie and you think back on it, it's like, okay, I can see kind of how they went with it. I just wish it was a little bit more explicit.
0: I kind of wish Iron Man 3 was uh, actually set after this and was yeah. kind of like twin, like a, it was a two-act structure with um, Civil War. Mm.
2: That's actually a good point. That yeah. would feed into it really nicely.
0: It just doesn't feel like that that was the last Iron Man adventure. And then... Uh, he drives away at this one, right? I'm totally quitting the Avengers now. That was the last Iron Man adventure. And now, thanks to contract renegotiations, he wasn't going to be, but he, now he's totally in Captain America 3. That will be the last Iron Man adventure until Infinity War, part one or two, and then he'll come back, and that will be the last Iron Man adventure. <laughs> but this
4: is the thing, though. If they're smart, they can make that part of his character. This Tony is not a, a full-on alcoholic. But he's a workaholic.
0: You could say he could be addicted to being Iron Man. Yeah. I mean, that's just saying I am Iron Man.
4: Absolutely. That's his crutch. That's something he's dependent on.
0: Even if that's not necessarily reflected with Robert Downey Jr. He's like, oh, come on, guys. <laughs> Do I have to put the thing on again?
2: Well, in, in a way, then, you could see Iron Man 3 as almost like him attending AA. Yeah. Where he's just yeah. kind of trying to throw that addiction out there, like trying to get rid of it, knowing that he's not going to be able to fully yeah. shake the shackles yet. That's what makes the ending so
0: fucking disingenuous. And he takes out the art reactor. Just, I just, I, I really wish that film hadn't happened. Anyway, right, one character down, nine to go, 40 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> okay, right, uh, Steve Rogers. Who Steve. has now become my favourite
2: Marvel character. Yeah. Me
4: too. Well, Easily, nearly. Yeah. Certainly it's my favourite that's well, appeared in the films so far.
2: Well, From the Avengers, anyway. Rocket's still yeah. my favourite. Wow, who's, who's your favourite
0: who's not in the films, Sharon?
4: Uh, at the moment, Captain Marvel.
0: Oh, as in the Carol Danvers? Yes. Awesome. I, I also particularly like uh, Kamala Khan's uh, Ms. Marvel. I cannot wait for her to be on the screen. Yes.
2: On. Oh God, I, same I hope here. so.
3: Steve benefits from uh jumping off one of the strongest Marvel movies uh to oh, date. Right. Yeah. Uh the Winter Soldier I mean I, I think is superb. Like it as, as a film you could argue it's probably the best of the bunch because just the pacing and the editing and all of that stuff is so so well managed in that film. Yeah. And just it had a it had high-minded ideas as well and all of that stuff winter soldier is fantastic but we talked about that film already we did but so (laughs) so going into this um i felt a much stronger connection to steve um and the having the film start with them raiding a hydra base um, made it feel much more like Steve was leading the team this time because yeah. we're we're finishing off his unfinished business from his last movie, True. and um,
0: even though they're going for Thor's brothers. Scepter, I mean, I mean, which it, Tony it, has a vested interest in and it's is abso- trying to rope Banner into helping him sorry Karen it's,
3: it's absolutely everyone's unfinished business but it feels like steve's like yeah. that 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 Oh no, I'm not disagreeing will... with you I just like uh, yeah, it's yeah.
0: It, it's totally like a, it's a really great way of weaving them all in at the same time but you're yeah. you're right the, Hy- the fact that it's a hydra base the fact that it's baron von Strucker as well yeah. I was really surprised at how quickly they disposed of this guy he's like one of uh, captain america's oldest uh, most tenacious foes and he floored him with a kick and then the dude turned up later in a fucking photo oh yeah he's dead right moving on carry on sorry
3: and he ends up becoming the moral center of this movie yeah. um every uh moment that there is a moral dilemma of any kind he is at the center of it telling people this is what we need to do and and this is how we should approach it um we've we've already mentioned the scene with him and tony where he goes every time people try to um end a war before it starts innocent people die yeah. that's absolutely true like if you if you look back that's happened all the time um and just the the sequence with um, the city uh, being taken up into the air, and he's the first one to go. No, we're not leaving anyone behind. We are saving everyone before we blow this thing up. And that was so refreshing, as we've already mentioned. Um, considering there are so many movies where unnamed thousands die in the background, yep. and and it's and the thing is like. There there are people, innocent people, that you see do... Like, there are cars that fall down ravines and all over... So innocent people died, but I I, I feel like t- Steve kind of gives that weight. Like, that shouldn't have happened. We should have been better as a team. We, those people could have been saved. And um, those deaths aren't ignored. And then having the film kind of focus on the civilians, and trying to rescue who's, whoever's still alive. That is entirely because of Steve, uh, Steve's presence in this film because there are other characters. I love Black Widow, but Black Widow is a pragmatist, first and foremost, mm. and her first thought was, well, there's more people down there than there are up here. We're blowing this thing up. Steve is more... Um, I'd, uh, more empathetic than that, he he needs to save everyone. He won't allow himself not to. Yeah,
4: I think part of that is because you can express the dichotomy between um, Steve and Tony in terms of the needs of the few versus the needs of the many. Yeah, but it's not quite that cut and dried because if you look at how Tony sees things. When he's looking at the big picture, it's the needs of the many, as in the needs of the whole. He looks yeah. at the, the really big picture because in his suit, he can fly back from the world and get that perspective shot that says at the end of the day, this is one big planet and we need to do whatever it is that's best for the planet as a whole. When he's in small situations, it's the needs of him and the needs of him very quickly outweigh the needs of anybody else standing around him. And that is enough to really aggravate Steve, who looks at things in terms of the needs of the few. However, the groups of the few make up the many, if you see what I mean. He, he seems to look at it in terms of if you go the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few enough times, that's enough groups of few that you are now talking masses. Does that I make think, sense?
3: I I do agree with what you're saying but I think I think in a, a lot of ways it's much simpler than that. I think Steve when he has the ability to do the right thing he will do it.
5: Mm, like yeah. he
3: cannot he will not allow himself to take the easy route to take the route that might allow him to go home and and end you know end work early as it were. Mm. He needs to do it right. Yeah. And um, yeah, just all the way through that film, he dem- uh, all the way through this film, he demonstrates that.
1: Yeah, and and one of the big things you have to remember is this is this is the first time we've seen where he has control of the organization he's in. All the other times he's been a cog within the machine, but this time he's at the top. He can make the decisions, and when it comes down to it, he can finally say like, "This isn't what we're doing." This. We're going to try and save everybody. We're not. We're not going to get the best possible outcome. We're going to get the perfect outcome if we can, or at least strive for it. And that's, as you said, that's the one of the biggest uh, divisions between uh, Stark and uh, Steve is that they they just can't see the world the same way. And especially after Tony's experience, where I, I think um uh. Quicksilver actually said it quite well like he has a small picture and I take it out and I look at it all the time and well it se- it seems like uh, because Steve has a smaller picture of what's going on he's able to block out the sort of things that cripple stone tony in the worst case situations mm.
4: part of that i think is is humility which Steve has and Tony does not because he, he thinks, I think when it gets to those situations where their actions could have a knock on effect on a much, much bigger picture, he is, he has enough humility to be able to say, you know what? I am not wise enough to figure out what the end game is. I'm going to deal with the game. I can see.
2: Yeah. So I have a, Thing about captain america i was just kind of want to throw a question out there so yes he can punch people through walls and throw motorcycles at tanks but his real superpower was always being that moral center He is an absolute good i mean winter soldier was just here's a shades of gray situation here's somebody who's perfectly white look at everything go away um but that the question i have though is what character growth has he did he really have in this movie or even what? in I'm any movie question mark because i uh... he's because he comes out of it like we meet him he is absolutely 100 percent like morally forthright his his character growth in the first captain america was just that he became captain america he, that was physical ass.
0: character growth
2: yeah <laughs> literal character growth he had a couple of mighty uh you know protein shakes and um and i guess you could say the death of of Bucky Barnes quote-unquote death and then in Winter Soldier picking that back up there's a bit of something going on there but like for the two Avengers movies what I, I can't think of too much it's that not, he did that's it's, growth it's not as so much growth as
0: the first Avengers film is his fear of obsolescence
3: I, I disagree that he doesn't grow over Winter Soldier um, I agree that in the two Avengers movies he's pretty much static Um, but I like the person he is, so that it didn't really affect my enjoyment. But in The Winter Soldier, he really goes from, like, following orders, like, uh, I I follow orders, Mm -hmm. I follow the American government, to challenging that and saying, look, I, I... I do not agree with what is going on here. I am willing to tear down the system that I have come to trust in order to bring about meaningful change. Um, that 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 movie is all about um, not taking what you have. Uh, you know, not taking for granted mm.
0: what you have used as a support system for so long and questioning
3: he, everything.
0: He's inspired by his villain. Alexander Pierce is the one who says to, you know, make a new world, you have to tear the old one down. Yeah. And also, um, Sharon, you mentioned yesterday that basically he's the, um, he's the the light side of Bucky. Bucky is the unquestioning soldier um, who, uh, uh, you know, will, will literally do whatever he is told. Steve is the one who stands up and says, no. No. And uh, listening to the commentary, the Russo brothers who, by the way, if you listen to the Shane Black commentary for Iron Man three, then listen to the Russo brothers. There is a rather remarkable difference in their approach. <laughs> um, for Shane Black, the whole movie was a great big muck around and he likes it when robots fight people on a plane. Um, the Russo brothers said regarding the fact that, Oh, the winter Soldier's is only in the film for like 12 minutes. Um, that the term Winter Soldier actually uh, doesn't actually apply to Bucky at all. It's Steve. The Winter Soldier is is a reference to a soldier that will keep fighting at the worst of times, not a Summer Soldier, um, yeah. a fair weather soldier, if you will. Uh, so yeah, that's the, the whole film is a, a, a test to see if he will basically keep fighting when everything else gets torn away from him.
1: Also, I. I would say there is some char- there is some character growth uh, within this movie for Steve because if you remember the whole sequence that um, Scarlet Witch showed Steve is that he came to realize that he no he- there is no place for him in a for a normal life and he doesn't want that anymore. Like he's come to terms with the fact that he's yeah. always going to be in the fight, and yeah. to the very day he dies, like there is not the man who wanted a normal life died when he got when he was trapped in the ice. See, we knew that about
0: him in The Winter Soldier. It's just yeah. it's taken this long for him to work that out. It's yeah. more
1: like he's come yeah. to he's come to realisation from the first Avengers movie, like being a relic to the point where it's not that I'm a relic, it's the fact that I am a forever I'm forever a soldier.
3: Well, it, it, it's it's more than that. I think he's afraid of a world without war because then he becomes meaningless. That scene with the ballroom, and then it just mm. suddenly empty, and it's all it's him alone by himself. I think that really reflects his state of mind. Just what do I do when all of the conflict is over? I'm just a man who means nothing to no one, um, and that <laughs> that's. that's I, I wasn't expecting that from this movie. Um, honestly, that caught me by surprise. The idea that Captain America, as peace, as somebody who strives for peace, is actually afraid of it because it's in a world with peace, he has no purpose.
4: But that's not an unusual storyline to look at in narratives involving soldiers and warriors, yeah, because yeah. that's it's such a, a core part of who those characters are. That You know, what what do they have after that? And if if you think about him fighting the idea of his own obsolescence before, um, that was the type of obsolescence that, you know, his skills were old and he was still overcoming the idea that internally he's still the weedy little guy that can't punch straight and can't, you know, do all the things that that are required of a soldier that's relatively easy to overcome all you've got to do is practice a new skill and he knows that if you you know he's got the physical abilities then if you practices often enough he'll get good at it that's fairly straightforward but yeah how do you come to terms with the with the potential obsolescence that comes with everything i know is tied up with fighting and with war and when all that's stripped away and if you think about the fact that all the things that mean anything to him as well personally are tied up with the idea of war he wouldn't have known peggy if it wasn't for the war his um, his uh, bond with bucky he's had it a long time but it was intensified through war Everything that he has come to stand for is all to do with fighting. And the bit in the middle where there was a lot less fighting going on, he was frozen in a block of ice. Yeah. So he hasn't had the time and the, the the headspace, if you like, to come to terms with all of that, which in a way you could say parallels Tony's inability to come to terms with the, the battles that he's been through. Bruce Banner. Yay.
2: He was amazing.
0: Ah, yes. Um... What he's one of the brightest stars of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He has been in two movies and a cameo out of 11. And I feel like I could take a trilogy of Mark Ruffalo's uh, Hulk. Uh, Not just take, but would desperately love to see. Jerome, you said there was a reason why that's not going to happen. Why?
1: Yes, basically, the reason for that is... The Hulk is in the Avengers for the same reason Spider-Man's going to be in the Avengers. Technically, Universal still owns the movie rights to his
0: stories. And they don't want to make a, uh, a Hulk film.
1: <laughs> well, they're trying to... Because um, Joss Whedon said he wanted to make a Hulk film. But currently, it's not f- legally feasible. If, if you remember, you remember the part where Hulk's <laughs> in the ship and he's flying off? Yeah. He was supposed to go into space then.
0: I as in he was supposed to or just because that fits with civil war
1: no he would like that was that was Joss's plan but unfortunately that ties into planet hulk mm-hmm. which is owned by universal mm-hmm. which means they couldn't do that storyline yeah oh, yeah
0: yeah
1: so it's 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 another
0: it's another right movie rights issue Jesus. Yeah. So, like, Universal want to make it, but they can't. Disney would like them to make it, but they won't. Well, it's more of... (laughs) It's more of the... Everyone wants to see a Mark Ruffalo banner film.
1: It's more of when they got the rights for the Hulk, they didn't get everything back. And they didn't force... I I don't think they foresaw, like, how much there'd be of demand for the Hulk.
0: If they can make Guardians of the Galaxy huge... I would think they can make the Hulk work. Yeah. I would also think oh, yeah, that having the, uh, uh, um, the Incredible Hulk film come out at the same time as Iron Man 3 instead of Iron Man 1, everyone would have been all over that film and going, oh, it's really, really good, as opposed to just ignoring it because they were um, you know, just so enamored of Iron Man and the Dark Knight.
1: It's Because technically, Incredible Hulk is still canon. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it's still a universal... Movie,
0: isn't it? Apparently we're going to be getting a little Ross coming up sometime soon. (laughs) So that's good. Yeah. Anyway, Bruce Banner in Avengers 2 Age of Ultron.
3: Well they they took the character we saw in the first one and expanded him further. Um I I preferred uh, the role that Banner took in, in this movie than uh, than the first Avengers. Um uh just because I I feel like in the first Avengers Hulk was the surprise, the 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 guy who stole the show that no one was expecting to steal the show. Mm-hmm. Um and um, there are... I mean, there are a lot of great Banner moments in the first Avengers, don't get me wrong. but like Every I think time he opens his goddamn mouth. <laughs> yeah. But um, this film was written in a way that felt like they knew what they had going into it. Yeah. And... Um, they uh, the relationship between black widow and um and uh, banner i i actually think is one of the stronger points of the film yeah. um just because it makes a lot of sense um it doesn't make sense that black widow would be attracted to the kind of men she's hung around with since you know she was a little girl she's attracted to the one who's different from all of them um that made a lot of sense and and bruce banner um relating to uh black widow's kind of uh, disgust at her own past and things she's done and and all of that that was a really organic character relationship that i wasn't expecting but when mm. when i saw it uh, uh, developing on screen i i thought was uh was fantastic and and re- mark ruffalo's just really just a really good actor yeah. i mean uh there's, there's nothing more you can really say than he delivers every line really naturally but yeah uh, with a lot of passion and he's he...
0: got the timing down for whedon dialogue
3: perfectly. yeah and he, I, I mean, I, I've mentioned this on a lot of uh, these podcasts. I think I was talking about it in Jurassic Park. Um, uh, wait a
0: minute. Are Which we, is yet to be released. I, That'll be next week, folks.
3: But um, but you he, will he, say it. Uh, Mark, Mark Ruffalo looks the part. He looks like a scientist. He he looks like he has that kind of knowledge and that kind of intelligence. And, oh, um, were you talking about I, Sam Neil at the time? I think I was talking about... Um, um, Jeff Goblin? No, I have forgotten. Samuel her name. L. Jackson. Her name? Laura Dern. Laura Dern. I was talking about <laughs> Laura Dern. Laura Dern really looks the part in uh, Jurassic Park. She looks like a scientist. And yes, she does. Mark Ruffalo really looks like a scientist too. Yeah. And I, I'm in love with this interpretation of Hulk. This they finally, for me, got everything right about Hulk. Banner's great. Hulk's great. It's fantastic.
1: I feel like one of the biggest things they showcase in this film is that his team trusts him. Like he he's unwilling to trust himself. I mean, the best way to show that point is when they're all doing trying to pick up Thor's hammer, and he tries to play it off like, oh, I'm going to Hulk out," and like they know him so well that we know for a fact you're not going to do it because we know how, <laughs> how much control you have. It's like over time, more and more, he's become. Far more accepted, but he's he's still Bruce Banner. He can never he can never trust himself.
2: Yeah, uh, what I love a lot about Bruce Banner and the Hulk is that they actually did a really good job of differentiating the two characters in this movie. In in my mind, even better than the previous one, because mm. I I really felt like Hulk was kind of his own character. Like after um the fight with Iron Man in the city and he gets smashed through all the towers, it I, I in my mind it's not the fist at the end that really puts him down. It's him looking up and seeing all of the people terrified around him. And and that's Hulk. That's not even Banner. And then the final, uh, the final act, that's Hulk doing that. That's not Banner specifically. And it, it, to me, it really helped to show that, um, Banner and Hulk, like as much as Banner is afraid of Hulk, Hulk's afraid of Banner. They're very different. Like they're in the same body. They're very similar in a lot of ways, but they are different characters. I love that.
1: It's, they're, they're forever caught up in a loop. They both hate each other, and that's what it's 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 the reason why the Hulk's so powerful. Like Bruce Banner's he- hate of himself will always be the underlying underlying
0: reason why he hulks out. As somebody mentioned, uh, "Hey, Alex, you you pointed out how uh, Bruce strangled Betty in uh, Ang Lee's Hulk, and yet he strangles." Uh, Scarlet Witch. In this, I paid closer attention when I watched it uh, the second time. Um, in the original, Ang Lee Hulk, uh, he suddenly in the in the like in the mid when when Betty's sort of like um, fawning over him, going "Oh no, Bruce, it's okay." He suddenly freaks out and starts to strangle her, not knowing what he's doing or what's going on. She never ever mentions it again, and it's sort of forgotten and swept under the carpet. That's not at all what happens in this. Um, yeah. Basically. Chaos breaks out, mm. absolute chaos. Quicksilver starts dashing about the place. Hulk, uh, well, but Banner has already seen this girl tear apart the team pretty much single handed. He grabs her and holds on and says, "Just you know, basically, just threatens her and tries to get her to hold still." At that point, yes, he has his arm around her throat. She's the most dangerous woman in the world. Yeah, especially and, to and him. I I mean, yeah, especially to him because she could make him the most dangerous man in the world.
3: Yeah, I'd also like to point out that he he put her in a chokehold, not a stranglehold. A chokehold is to disable, not Mm.
0: to kill. And he wasn't out of control and strangling her; he was holding her.
1: But I I I do not doubt for a second when he says I could I could snap your neck without even hulking out if I wanted to because that's how deeply he feels about what happened in South Africa.
0: Yeah. He's utterly humiliated by that scenario. And um, I think, Sharon, you mentioned on the Avengers show uh, or or somewhere else, he's ashamed of his inability to keep his... um, Basically, a man who cannot control his temper must feel shame at some level. And Banner's riven with it.
1: But one of the weirdest things is Hulk, like normal Hulk, if you think about it, he doesn't actually... Hurt people. Hmm. There's a lot of a lot of collateral damage, but he doesn't hmm. actually go after people. Whereas with his Miles, mind-
0: when he's <laughs> written by Mark Miller, oh, sorry, <laughs> ignore that shit. It,
1: but with Scarlet Witch messing with his mind, you literally have the Hulk that Bruce Banner always feared him to be. Hmm. Just this rage monster that will attack and kill
0: anything within its path. Savage Hulk, yeah. He actually seems more like... Remember uh, 28 Days Later? He's like a rage-infected Hulk. Yeah. That's terrifying. And yet that whole scenario, I thought that that was going to be an, oh my God, this is a terrible situation. But it's really kind of... It's fun, but it's also... You can completely see how Tony has absolutely every intention of putting Hulk down at that stage. And he really doesn't want to have to do it, but he's um it, it's a protection situation
1: i think one of the biggest thing is the fact that they designed the suit together mm. like this is as much bruce's plan
0: as it is tony's yeah he even mentions you know veronica looking over your shoulder i was like what that'll be the code code veronica if you will for, uh, the, <laughs> for the You episode. know, that
4: was the first thing that popped into my head when he said it
0: yeah.
1: they set it up in the very first movie where it they they flipped it around where tony and bruce like this they're, they're sights buddies like they're, they're the best of friends sort of thing because they get each other so well whereas in the comics it's always been like they've always resented each other
0: yeah yeah oh in uh, the original avengers he says some lines of you know uh you you need a suit of armor you need some you know new new clothes they don't even mention it by words but hulk's wearing stark tech pants yeah they stretch and shrink, uh, and they are mechanically and technologically advanced. And technically, when he throws down Veronica on him, that little holding cell is su- supposed to be a first measure to uh, to keep him under control. Just doesn't work. That is a suit of sorts, I suppose. <laughs> okay. um, but but yeah, the uh, I suppose we can probably move on to uh, uh, Natasha if you want to talk about their relationship or talk about his relationship to Natasha and and why he ultimately sees them differently i was surprised how um new the whole thing was people were sort of like hinting and, and saying oh my god there's this you know a new relationship it really seems like this is like only a few steps forward from possible flirting that has occurred in the past they really haven't talked about it you know yeah
2: yeah it- a lot of people seem they were like oh well they, they should have built this up more I I never saw that coming I don't think the characters saw it coming to be honest like I, I feel like this is just seeing the very beginning of it where they're just acknowledging kind of that that mutual bond that has developed probably we've, we've seen a bit of it from the first Avengers yeah and it all through this movie and I don't know like it was it worked for me it was pretty organic as as far as it went for me
1: I feel that the implication is that a lot of their relationship built through developing the lullaby technique. Cause obviously to calm Hulk down, like you have, like you have to be connected to yeah. um, Bruce on a level where it's ingrained within him.
0: There's an intimacy to that act.
1: Cause that's always been a thing of his friends have always been able to calm him down.
0: Yeah. Um, Actually, one thing I hadn't really noticed about this specific scenario in the original Avengers: not only is there an intimacy between him and Natasha, which is there, mm-hmm. um, there's a nurturing in Stark to Banner, and I, it wasn't that word that I picked out until I listened to the Whedon commentary again, and yeah, he, he says nurturing. It's like w- once Banner became the Hulk, Betty is the only person who nurtured him up until that point. So it's it's kind of unusual and special, and uh, but at the, the same other time, the
1: person is uh, Rick, the um, kid that Banner saved from the original explosion. Rick Jones, yeah, yeah. It's only ever been those two.
0: Yeah, okay. In the, in the comics, obviously, yeah, Rick, Rick Jones uh, is uh, is his buddy, and uh, it would be nice to see him in the movies at some point. But uh, I guess that's one of those universal things. Um, but 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 yeah, it's it, for him. It kind of it's it's uncomfortable that someone's actually being so good to him. That's I mean Banner is super of, of all of them. He's the most uncomfortable the whole way through. Yeah,
4: I think that mostly comes down to the idea of what you were saying about him being ashamed of his um, his lack of control and what results from it. He doesn't feel he on on some level he doesn't feel he deserves to have people give him that trust and to give him that intimacy because he is a threat to them and um and i think what he he can't see because he's literally in the middle of it that it's the elements of himself that result in that that are the things that those people respond to and i i i would say that Tony's nurturance of him in the original Avengers films, in part comes from the fact that he experiences a I don't know whether I want to say loss of control or lack of need for control that Tony cannot lose. Tony can't let go of that need for control in him and I think he envies Banner for having that part of himself that lets go of the control and hulks out. And when it comes to his relationship with Natasha, and I would agree, you can see it coming. Well, you can. <laughs> the, the the universal you. I'm. But I. Th- the royal we. Indeed. I'm a bunch of scraps. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is there, um, in terms of how their relationship had the potential to develop, that sh- the reason she is so scared of the Hulk, is that all her skills, all her training, everything she's ever been taught to do in any given situation will not work on him. She Mm. can't manipulate him. She can't reason with him. She can't bargain with him. Um, And that basically means that he is somebody with whom she can be Whoever she wants to be, she doesn't have to be the person she's been trained to be, and trained so rigorously that she will slip into that even when she doesn't mean to. She does it when he's Banner, when she first meets him. Mm.
0: She almost seems to regard the Hulk as like his big brother or something like that. Like, so you know, I need the other guy. Like, she like uh, brings him out. There's a a friendship and intimacy between the two of them, but it's obviously Mm. very different.
4: Yes, yeah, it's it's definitely Banner is the one that she has the the uh, attraction to, not the Hulk, but she, she accepts the fact that they and come to fight. Good as a
0: thing package. too, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs>
2: indeed.
0: Classy. Ow.
2: Hiding, <laughs> hiding the zucchini, indeed. <laughs> Black Widow. Uh, I had a an argument with somebody fairly recently that they complained very fervently that, of course. If one of the Avengers is going to have to be taken prisoner, it was going to be the female on the team to be the damsel in distress, and I was curious what you guys thought of this because my my perspective was different than that. I mean, and I'm just curious what you guys thought.
3: I because I, I, the thing is. I I know the the backstory behind kind of the production of this film, and uh, Scarlett Johansson was pregnant during filming, Um. and that's why she took a lot of uh, she took a back seat in a lot of the action sequences in this movie, Um, and and also I would I'd, I'd ask people to you know. Sometimes you have to give people the benefit of the doubt, and Joss Whedon has done enough work where women have been central and commanding and in control that I think we can let him have the one damsel in distress character. I I, do you know what I mean? Like I just I think people bombarding him with criticism is kind of like staring at a tree and missing the forest, as it were. Kind of like he's done a lot of good work, and I, I mean you're right. You're absolutely right to criticize like this instance of the damsel in distress trope. I don't but I
1: think it I really think...
0: counts if the damsel on immediately being freed goes out and kicks the fuck out of a bunch yeah, of robots. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly,
1: Snoven it's, it's that she, and... she she makes her own rescue.
3: Yeah, and, and 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 given that, you know, Scarlett Johansson was pregnant during the filming of uh, of this movie, what are you going to do? Like I mean, you can't ask Scarlett Johansson to be involved in every action sequence if it's going to threaten, you know, her child. So, I don't know. I, they I, could
0: have taken Hawkeye uh, captive, honestly. Uh, yeah, it it yeah. would have felt a bit odd, and also Hawkeye was captive technically in the first film.
2: Mm, they yeah. could have taken
0: Thor captive. He probably would have broken out. They could have taken Steve captive. He probably would have broken out. They could have taken yeah. Tony, Tony captive. He would have spent the whole time fucking with Ultron. That would have kind of been cool. That um, have been hilarious. <laughs> they could have taken Banner captive. He would have broken out. They could have taken... Nope, no one left. Fury yeah. captive? Honestly, who are we down to at this point? Rodie. <laughs> Sam Wilson. Technically, Brody um, was captive in Iron Man 3. As was Pepper. Yeah. Ay, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
3: I right. just I just think, you know. I think I, I, that, I, there, I, there, there, are, there are issues where I think people shout when they should talk. And this was one of them. Where yeah. It, it's it, it like I'm not I'm not going to disagree that it's an example of the damsel trope, but just not everyone who uses that trope is evil, guys. Also, there are, there are ways to basically say
0: there are ways to basically say to Marvel Marvel guys, She Hulk, okay, Spider Woman, okay. Yeah. <laughs> as yeah. soon as Captain Marvel is out, and you can see that females will can headline a superhero movie, just Phase Four. Yes. lady superheroes it can totally happen coming yeah. on with poison bile hatred and fury over yeah. one small aspect of a film in which a. I... okay you know what not gonna do it not yeah. doing it New yeah. no doing it okay
2: so i think my favorite take on it was when somebody um tweeted at mark ruffalo uh, asking about that moment, like with bile and hate, saying, you know, oh, well, don't you think it's disgraceful that they had to give Black Widow uh, a chance to be rescued by uh by Bruce Banner and his response was I'm pretty sure she's the one who saved Banner not yeah. the other way around mm. and I was like I love that response. It on was a superficial level he got her out of her cell.
4: It was well it wasn't exactly bile and hate that tweet and it was it was more to do with the the love interest and the the romantic storyline rather than the actual being captive. Um, yes. But I I did like the way that that he turned it around and and I have to admit that was kind of my interpretation of their whole relationship is that it was very much a two-way street. They, it was, yeah. it was about what um, what he was bringing to her, as much as it was about what she was bringing to him. And I think that there were a lot of people who who felt very frustrated that it appeared that she was being reduced to um the the character who's going to hold bruce's hand and and get him out of his his pit of despair by um you know just just being the girl and and the partner but it, like i said it it seemed to go both ways for me and um i know that there were some people picked up on the um the idea that she she'd been sterilized as referring to um, some in some way implying that she was uh, less of a woman and therefore that was part of what made her monstrous, was that, that there was something wrong with her in that capacity. And that was very far from the way I interpret it. Now I'm not going to come down on people who have certain ways of looking at how this played out and if if they didn't like it then they didn't like it and if it threw them out of the film then it threw them out of the film and no matter what anybody else says that doesn't affect what their response to it was but personally it wasn't until after the fact whenever when i was reading these things saying oh she got totally damseled, and you know she she was captive uh, cap captured and and stuck in a cell and and of course this happened to the and i'm thinking do you know, I didn't even notice. It, it didn't even occur to me because she's so much to me a character rather than um, the token chick. Yeah. That it didn't even occur to me. that it, I, I think, if anything, I was thinking, well, it makes total sense that, that she'd be the most useful person to be caught because she's yeah. the person who can observe the best. She's got spy training. She can pick up on what's going on and, and you know report it all back later. And as you say, it's, it's basically got to be either her or Hawkeye because they're the only... Um, sort of human people if you like who aren't just going to punch their way out the back of the wall I
3: I, I just want to emphasise that I don't think the people who are criticising this are invalid in their criticisms I'm just very disappointed by the way they've gone about it I just these discussions should be Nuance. They should be, you know, we should be talking to each other pleasantly about these issues and and share our different perspectives on what we think is going on and what we don't think is going on, and just seeing the 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 kind of the binary of Twitter and social media where every argument is reduced to the the extreme ends of the spectrum it, it frustrates me because I think this issue is not as clear. This is a much grayer. Um, area in terms of uh, gender depiction and i i wish people could have approached it with a bit more maturity but unfortunately it's shouting and screaming until everyone takes their toys and goes to a different playground
4: and it it is frustrating when that happens because then the people who are trying to to put nuanced discussion into it get ignored because they get lost in the raw because they stood next to 20 or 30 people that are swearing and hollering and you know yeah. generally being unpleasant
5: yeah
3: yeah but anyway moving on yes.
2: yeah. Well, but to, <laughs> to, to kind of uh jump on give sharon's point a little bit more um evidence i guess you'd say i i didn't notice either because we've seen her being taken captive quote unquote before playing the damsel whether she intended for it or not she always has the upper hand like i would never even for a moment think like, Oh, that's like, she's clearly a damsel in distress. Like, no, no, she definitely has control of this situation.
0: I'm going to bodily move us beyond the damsel thing. Cause it's a fucking yeah. non issue. As far yeah. as I'm concerned, okay. there Fair are enough. other films to direct that at. Absolutely. And it, there's just so much going on in this. We could talk for hours and hours and hours. And the damseling is a tiny, tiny aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, it's
2: just it's just but, getting a lot of play.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's getting too much disproportional play and we've given it too much time already.
2: I is agree. That's my point.
0: Let's go. Uh, I was blown away once again by what a fantastic actress Scarlett Johansson was. There is a delicacy yeah. to her performance which when you consider what kind of person Natasha is, is, you know, a consistent achievement on her part. It would be so easy just to sex this girl up and, 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 and make her the femme fatale the whole time. But when he... When Banner um, sidles up to her and she's at the bar and uh, they sort of lapse into this weird kind of film noir guy done me wrong patter, there's this like wonderfully brittle kind of vulnerability to both of them at that at that stage. And when she's talking about what happened to her in the red room, it's 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 heart wrenching how open she's being for someone who basically spends their entire life being someone else. Remember back when we were talking about Iron Man two, and uh, and I was saying there really isn't. I mean, it's, it's difficult to tell who the real Natasha is here. Uh, we got to see the real Natasha here, absolutely, completely, indefinitely. And I'm I, yeah, I would have, I would have loved a Black Widow movie. We may get one with or without Scarlett Johansson at some stage, uh, but. Um, I feel like the character has has been given the kind of screen time that allows her to develop properly in a way that a lot of female characters never get to.
3: She she needs her own movie. I mean, I I think of Winter Soldier as the Captain America slash Black Widow movie anyway. It's yeah. a as much her movie as it is Steve's, and uh, I I think she deserves to take the protagonist role at some point because yeah. she's a she's a strong character and she's she's definitely held a lot of you know a lot of the weight of this series mm. herself. So yeah. I'd say Come her character,
0: on. her personality and her past is enough that she could probably like do it when she's a little bit older even and doesn't have to do quite so many high kicks. Yeah. And, you know, they're actually getting really good at intercutting stunt women. You know, if if she flings herself around and her hair goes wild, you can't tell what's her and who's her stunt double.
4: I actually yeah. think you could you could work a very very fascinating um, self development storyline out of that as she does get older. The idea that um, at some point she maybe comes across a young girl who is a, a later graduate of the Red Room mm. and and has to deal with the fact that you know this is somebody who's been through a lot of the same stuff that she has, and and sort of coming to terms with her own past through the process of doing that.
0: Yeah, face four, please. Mm. And this is how you do it, guys. You 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 lay it down. You start talking about it. You talk about it more often. You get it to the point where it's just a thing that people say. It is possible to get things done without venom. Um, Clint, or are we moving on? Or are we not moving on? I think we're moving on. I think we're moving yeah, I think on. We're moving okay, on. Uh, Clint Barton. Um, this is only really his second movie. Obviously, he had the cameo before, and. In the first movie, he's not exactly present, so this was a huge deal. And the the whole way through the movie, they're, they're, it's it's not cheap. It's kind of the other other thing. Um, Joss is basically reminding you: this is a real guy. He has you know a, a real family, and he could die. So when you see it again and you know he's not going to die, as I did, uh, you tend to sort of like focus on that family and just think, this is what could have been lost. And it makes him much more of a real character. So far from the sort of, (laughs) ah-ha-ha, it's actually a a very humanizing situation. And um, I'm really glad that Hawkeye's life is... Yeah, more resplendent than it might appear for somebody who has worked so long in black ops
1: Yeah, it's one of the moments I was waiting for in Marvel movies because one of the big things for me about Hawkeye is that he's the most ordinary guy out of all of them Yeah, and not just because he hasn't got any superpowers, Like he managed to live a normal life
4: which is quite an achievement for somebody was, yeah. who hangs out with shield operatives on a regular basis
1: yeah like from the very beginning when he entered Shield, like that was his priority. Like you could you could pitch the scene where he says, I'm not joining unless I know my family's safe.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
4: It did actually in a very non humorous way. Um it did remind me of those little asides in Austin Powers where they say how nobody ever thinks about the family of the henchmen. Yeah. And and it kind of it it connects Shield and the world that surrounds that with its grounding in the FBI, the CIA, you know, those kind of organizations. Because however shadowy and scary you make MI5 look, at the end of the day, most of them are just people who have families. And whether that be parents or siblings or, you know, partners and children they have things that they go back to that are outside that world. And to have that touchstone, to have that thing to go back to, and to have that be the thing that all the other characters are then looking at and going, oh, my God, that's what I want. That's the thing that I can't have and that I miss, that I don't have that.
1: And I love the fact they like... They're so acutely aware of the fact. Well, he's so acutely aware of the fact that he's just a human being, and when his wife, like one of the best things that get across how crucial is um, the fact that his wife's when he says to his wife, "You think they don't need me?" I says, "I'm worried that they do, because if you think about it, in a in a situation where, as she calls them, these gods need an ordinary man, it makes you worry about their future."
2: Absolutely. I love the fact that I think Hawkeye – so in the first movie, like we don't really get to know him much, but I really ended up loving the character of Hawkeye by the end of this film. He had some of the best lines and his interplay with uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, Mm. uh, kind of the friendly – uh, kind of almost joking rivalry between him and Quicksilver. the like, keep up old man. And the, you know, I'd do it. Nobody would know. Um,
5: <laughs>
2: and, and the, uh, and that whole scene with Scarlet Witch, when he kind of sums up the whole movie where he's like, look, we're on a floating rock with a, and there's robots everywhere and I have a bow and I'm going to go back out there. It's just like this crazy, this place is just crazy but I'm going to still get the job done. Are you coming with me? Like, that whole scene was just amazing.
1: He's very much the everyman that Steve was. Yeah. You could picture him being a Captain America.
0: Uh,
2: just less of a company man. Like, he'd be, he wouldn't work for the organization. He still uh, has that other motive that he, he wants to go he's home got at got
0: the those end qualities. of the day. He, yeah. he has a similar everyman quality. He doesn't have Steve's drive. Yeah. Not in the same way. He wouldn't be like looking to retire. Uh, I mean, Steve is technically a lot younger than him, but um, Steve doesn't really have the perspective on his own life. He's way too selfless. Hawkeye is too canny for that.
2: Hawkeye is Steve if Steve had somewhere to go when war was over. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Steve could, if he did actually get close to someone like, say, Sharon Carter, um, develop a sense, more of a sense of self. Because that's the thing about about him. He is kind of... He's disengaged any of his needs or wants from what he does. Yeah. Nope, oh, we're going yeah. back to Steve. Uh, and, <laughs> well, no, cause, only because it actually compares uh, against Hawkeye. Hawkeye deserves this retirement. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. He's been actually. in the field a heck of a lot longer than Steve, too, given his uh, conversations with Black right. Widow.
1: Was it Hawkeye... Who brought Natasha into Shield, or is it?
2: Yes, uh, yes. it was yeah.
1: Hawkeye. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, he was sent to kill her, and he didn't do it. Um, he ended up bringing her in because he thought that she could be rehabilitated, and he was right.
0: Yeah. Which is um, brilliant, considering the reversal there for uh, uh, Avengers Assemble. Mm.
4: I do love actually the fact that their the way their their relationship, um, uh, Hawkeye and um, and Black Widow, develops in Ultron. Adds an entirely new level of perspective to their relationship in Avengers.
1: Yeah, they're yes. literally best friends. Mm, yeah, like, or they're intimate. She's intimately familiar with his family mm, yeah, to the yeah. point where they were going to name their next daughter after her.
2: Yeah, well, Nathaniel's pretty close to, to yeah. Natasha. I think Traitor. they stayed their third child. It, oh, but it's um, it's Nathaniel Pietro, isn't it? Yeah, at the end. Yeah, I got that in there, too.
0: That's lovely. Uh, Thor, Uh, I think probably of the headliners, he gets done the most disservice in this. There have been complaints that the whole cave section seems to come out of nowhere and then disappear to nowhere as well. He's the most disconnected from the proceedings and without Loki around, he seems to have the least business. In yeah. This.
1: Well, one of I, the things that uh, Whedon did say, like he's di- there, there are quite a few deleted scenes. Like he wished he could have had more, uh, uh, an extended cut to. Well, there the, the,
3: the, there is going to be an extended yeah. cut. That's been confirmed. There's going to be. Yeah, we uh, were told that about Avengers Assemble. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I, mean, I, th- he, I think this he has wanted been... an extended theatrical.
3: Yeah, I I, I think it's been officially announced though it's not just yeah. rumored that it's been officially announced that there will be an extended blu-ray with like 40 minutes worth right. of footage good um uh, and i think a lot because i i really like this movie but my my problems with it um come from the fact that that there are lots of moments that feel rushed and I think the extended version would fix a lot of those problems. Mm-hmm. Four is definitely one of those characters that suffers the most from that. Um, his arc, if you will, feels like it was fast-forwarded through this movie. Um I, and and honestly, he was one of the just as a character, I I could take or leave him in this movie. I
0: honestly, I, I, that sounds a bit brutal, but I well, think he doesn't develop at all. Yeah, he doesn't he develop takes at all part in proceedings. He hit thing, hits things with hammers. Most of his like major action sequences, it switches to a millennial rubber version of Thor. And did yeah. anyone notice how the the effects in this are not the best in the series so far? In no. fact, they they like there were times when I was going ooh. Like, you know, uh, Chris Hemsworth on ground, jumps, rubber thing flies through air, lands, flings itself around a bit with a rubber face, then it's Chris Hemsworth again, then it jumps again, and it's like, okay. Um, it, It could just be me. I could be getting very, very sensitive to that kind of thing. Uh, it, I, I, it wasn't just you. I I, I I felt that as well. I yeah. I think. But that... I was the only person who noticed um, the the bit in The Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies. No one else seems to notice. I'm the only person who actually physically vomited oh. uh, into my mouth when I saw that disgusting CGI Flynn in Tron Legacy.
1: I'm sorry. Sorry, I need to interject. <laughs> um, I have to say oh. something on behalf of Chris. Oh yeah. Um, Leg says he was using his bow wrong, oh. wrong side uh. of the bow. <laughs> That was the first thing he said when we exited the theatre. And if he
0: wears those gloves, that means he's rubbish at firing a bow. We know. I
1: I, I, I just thought I had had to do him justice and let you all know.
0: (laughs) But at least, you know, the archer got a bit more screen time. Surely he he was happy with that. Yeah. I think Chris at this point has more things to worry about than the representation of archers in movies. Thank you. Conservatives. Right, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh,
1: wow. <laughs> Subtle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Depiction of thought. I mean, is there anything else to say about not Thor? Not really, I, because I, there's not much of Thor in this
0: movie. Really. It feels
1: like the biggest thing he brings to it is the comedy with his hammer.
0: Mm. Well, also just the fact that his hammer proves Vision's a straight shooter.
1: Mm. Yeah, oh, that was
2: such a great scene.
0: Yeah,
1: The problem is he's given the role of bringing the major threat to the forefront of everybody's mind without getting his time to shine.
0: Basically, Thor's absolute pinnacle was Avengers Assemble, and then it's been downhill from there. He's always been outshone by Loki, who's always there. But without Loki there, it's like, what are you going to do?
2: He was almost too much of an exposition dump for this one, because it's like, here's Thor setting up Thor Ragnarok. Here's Thor setting up the Infinity War movies. It's just... Like the only movie he didn't set up was Black Panther because that was set up by uh, Iron Man and – yeah, Cuttlefish. <laughs> yeah, the Cuttlefish and Mr. Cuttlefish. Andy Serkis.
0: I haven't put him on the uh, thing, but Claw there, um, that, that, that's the fucker who I believe may have killed T'Chaka, uh, T'Challa's father, or may kill T'Challa's father in, uh, in flashback or in present times in Black Panther when that turns up. He's like Black Panther's nemesis.
2: You could be right. Uh, so an interesting thing about Claw though is played by Andy Serkis. I yes. think the reason that he was played by Andy Serkis is they brought him in. I read somewhere that so, Andy Serkis was brought in specifically for a new the, mocap for yeah, the Hulk. Yeah, and then they were just kind of like, "Why don't you play this character too?" Nice. Yeah. Also,
0: I think that probably applied to Ultron as well because there was a um, the, the fantastic. You know, I'll talk about Ultron in a bit, but the the, the, uh, the characterization on ultron made him seem very much like he was a real being and that comes down to exceptional use of um uh animations like they threw all of that into ultron and then they forgot to make all of those thor and cap leaping about the place look absolutely real
2: yeah would you say it made ultron look more like a real boy
0: Yep, it did. Um, it could. We, we've been spoiled by uh, the Winter Soldier because the, the Russo brothers, when they could do it without CGI, they did it without CGI. Yeah, and uh, that's just an exceptional. I watched it again last night. What a fucking film that yeah. is! But then, so is Avengers Assemble. Anyway, um, Avengers Assemble, by the way, for people keeping track, has now ascended to my favorite movie. It's uh, above and beyond the Lord of the Rings movies, possibly as a result of the Hobbit trilogy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, possibly just because uh, Avengers is just ongoing. And I love the fact that the universe is still open. It made me so sad when Re- Return of the King happened and closed it off. Um, Thor? We're done with Thor. Ooh, yeah. 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 Um, Claw, you want some candy? It's, there's something really unsettling about South African bad guys.
1: It's, it's that cottonfish moment where cuttlefish.
2: it says,
1: Oh man. <laughs> they hypnotize you and grab you out. So if you're going to make me see a, a giant cottonfish, I know you don't do business. <laughs> <laughs>
0: anyway, um, so yeah, that, that's all he was there for. It's almost like they, they cut his arm off which is part of his character because he has like if, by the way folks, Google Claw
1: Yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> a reason why it's called Claw That
0: uh, is it's not that, just
2: his last name. Am
0: I thinking of the Living Laser? Um, who, is he, has Claw got a fucking ridiculous costume? Uh, I think all of them had ridiculous costumes at one point <laughs> <laughs> Let me just uh, see No, that's just Andy Circus. No, that is the ridiculous costume I was thinking of yeah, great big, like, imagine Magneto, just the red spandex with a couple of, like, purple accoutrements and, like, purple pants and a great big, like, sonic gun on one arm. That's him. He looks ridiculous, and thank God that uh, circus has come along. Basically, if, if you um, dig deeper into Black Panther, he was one of the uh, – he's descended from the first um, white South African settlers who, who turned uh, South Africa into a fucking racist paradise. And uh, yeah, genuinely unsettling kind of guy. I suppose we can mention other bit parts at this point. Rody Wilson, nice to see hey, them.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I they mean, he had a the great
1: no, moment. Yeah, yeah. Yes. There's, was there's like, not
0: much boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were the window dressing, the Brian Singer characters, if you will. They turned up and said, "Oh, hey, we're we're attached in some way to other movies."
2: I, I like yeah. seeing Haley Atwell too in the oh. flashback mainly because agent Carter is amazing and I want to watch the season two right now, but
0: season two renewed, very happy. Has season yeah. one finished. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I can watch it now. Oh, it finished a while back. Yeah. yeah it's, oh,
1: it's I only, only like, watch whole seasons of things.
0: Yeah. I understand. Uh, oh, good. Yeah it's, yeah. it's, it's worth seeing. It flies by. It's great stuff. Um, so yeah, Haley was that I was dreading like you know if they're going to come back to like you know 100 year old uh, Peggy what the fuck can they possibly do with her in Age of Ultron. So uh, thankfully it was she was a figment of uh, Steve's imagination. Um, but nonetheless incredibly powerful for her presence. Um,
2: speaking of bit parts though, we can oh yeah. we can't forget Stan Lee's cameo of course. with the super the super whiskey from Thor. Mm. <laughs> I've thought been
0: were-
1: aged for a thousand years
2: it's not made for mortal man
0: that it shall shall.
2: it's so great
0: um, also yeah Idris Elba who as I, I recall I think he was bitching about the fact that he had to be in this Avengers thing and he'd just played did he play Nelson Mandela? yes Yeah. he had just played Nelson Mandela and he came back to play uh, Heimdall um, but uh Yep, nice to see him there as well. I suppose it gave a bit more weight to Thor being there. Yeah. Um, but it didn't really feel like it was actually Heimdall. It was just a, it was a, a crazed depiction of Heimdall as painted by Thor's brain.
4: I wonder, actually, if part of the reason that Thor felt uh, slightly removed and not quite as blended in as everybody else did is because anything that was to do with him, they were having to tie in with Ragnarok. Oh,
5: yeah.
4: Because that means that any development he does... Like, the things that everybody else was scared of were very specifically character-related. His was plot-related, and we know it's plot-related because we know what's coming.
0: It feels like they could have had some Jane in there. when, like, Not, not a lot of people know this because they, it was at the tail-tail end of the dark world. <laughs> I think listeners to this show will know this, but if you've seen it on DVD as well. But he came back and he reunited with Jane. That's not in the film! <laughs> It's at the very, very end. That's the closer. That's the kiss off. That's the post credit sequence. Um, oh, by the way, that scenario, um, when Jane runs to the window and then immediately like comes out and, and, and get, locks lips with him, that's actually Chris Hemsworth's wife on, yeah. uh, uh, in, uh, in Hong Kong. Uh, it's, it's seamlessly matched. She's wearing a wig. Um, so, yeah, when he kisses her, that's an absolutely genuine kiss of, of, uh, of uh, true love.
4: <laughs> <What's that? laughs> please tell me, please tell me that that is because um, I've forgotten a name. What's that? Natalie her name? Portman. Natalie Portman wasn't available, and not that Chris Hemsworth's wife refused to let him kiss anyone else.
0: No, although wasn't that a scenario in? Uh, oh yeah, that was it. In in the music video for um, Everlong. D- Dave Grohl is in bed with a girl and to make sure that his girlfriend wouldn't be upset they dressed up the drummer as a girl. He said a whole bunch of names I have no idea who they are. Lead singer of the yeah. Foo Fighters. Okay. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's something I reckon. Sorry, anyway, so but it's 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 a really nice sort of end scene. If Jane was in this movie, say at the party, she could have talked to Thor. It would have felt like that their situation like what where is Thor right now? Really, from from this movie, what do we know of what Thor's doing? Because if we didn't see the end of um, uh, 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 Thor the Dark World, we know he comes back to Earth. We don't know if he's with Jane. He's hanging around Avengers HQ. He seems to want to return to Asgard again. So do you inter- mean at the beginning of the film or at the end of the film? Either of them. He only seems to want to return to Asgard, Like, like I really need to find some shit out after he receives his visions. But uh, well, you know when he's talking about you know we can probably quit with this whole like it, once he's got the scepter he's kind of cleaned up the last of his brother's mess
1: because yeah. I get the thing that he was looking forward to just spending his time with Jane like oh, yeah. seeing as his... <laughs>
0: because... tell me more about this boning that you do on Midgard <laughs> sorry.
1: Because obviously um, he's had to do the whole Avenger thing and she's been out, uh, obviously she at the, she's at the, yeah, the forefront of her field. So he could, if things were over when he thought they were, he could go spend more time with her. That's what I think.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it, but again, it, it's one of these sort of potential things rather than the, that she was in the film. Yeah. Um, yeah. it also, it seems kind of like on the outside that uh, um, Natalie Portman's not massively thrilled with having to come back and keep playing this character she committed to back in 2011 it was great to see Rhodey and he was flying around and that was great and he's War Machine and I much prefer the whole War Machine armor to Iron Patriot, that's good yes, yes, um, yes it was great to see uh sam wilson again he is one of the uh, best avengers type characters i could have taken him as one of the team in this i, I kind of don't know why it wasn't there apart from the fact that they had to make room for everybody else Geez, i wish he um, would have
2: shown up i wish he would have shown yeah. up with war machine with the um helicarrier in the end yeah, just yeah. flying and around something. the
1: place yeah that's what that's what i thought when they said we brought some help i thought it was going to be both
0: uh, Rody and sam Dude, three black men turn up to save the day. Sorry, Jerome. They got to keep their numbers down. Oh. oh my God. <laughs> you know I agree. You know I completely fucking agree.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: and uh, you know, given the choice, uh, I, I would also say Sam um, takes over from Steve as Cap as soon as uh, as that's done. Because I actually, kind of, I kind of like the idea of um, Bucky remaining as Winter Soldier because he's. Um, it's a really powerful character. But, yeah, that's as much as uh, we got. I, I, I do like the fact that he got the red um, uh, costume change at the end, just a little bit of red in there, because originally Anthony Mackie wanted the red 70s gear. Yeah. Yeah. He said he was looking forward to wearing it. <laughs> Again, you know, what I'm hoping is that the next Avengers film that actually features Falcon, he gets to actually be on the fucking poster because he totally (laughs) warrants it. I don't think he actually was on any of the uh, Winter Soldier ones, which is a goddamn shame.
2: Yeah. He might be right.
1: Yeah, but if he was on the poster, then people would figure out who he was because how many black superheroes are well known. Good point. Yeah. especially tied tied with Captain America.
0: He got his own character poster, but he didn't get his own group ensemble poster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh well. Okay. Wanda and Pietro? I I
1: the 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 fact that it's another one of Tony's uh it comes back to his mistakes of the past. Mm. Like he he constant he's constantly made his own enemies.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Either I'll further uh, adding texture to Iron Man 3 or further making Iron Man 3 irrelevant, whichever direction you want to come to it. And- <laughs> <laughs> it's a good
1: workaround for Wanda's powers, because um, obviously her powers is essentially to bend reality, so <laughs> saying they're they're taken from one the Infinity Gems makes a bit more sense when she can do the most ridiculous thing sometimes.
0: Yeah. Oh, by the way, I think I totally called the scepter. I can't remember if I actually mentioned it in a podcast.
1: Yeah. We, we all said it was the mind gem. We yeah. just didn't think it was yellow.
0: Yeah. Or yeah. Well, that they hid it. I was like, hang on blue and blue shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, they were totally like, no, it's yellow, which leads me to believe that, um, the time gem is probably like hidden somewhere, maybe on earth. Because it's almost certain that uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy are going to find the Soul Gem, uh, because that tends to be embedded in the head of Adam Warlock. Who's like a major Thanos um, adversary, and almost certainly will be turning up in Guardians 2.
2: Adam Warlock's got a whole lot of shenanigans with the Soul Gem, so yeah, I wouldn't i wouldn't be surprised if it turns out to be him
0: i do wonder what their plan was when guardians was originally going to lead directly into avengers 3 and there wasn't going to be a guardians 2 hmm. anyway uh
3: i am um, sorry going back to uh Wanda and pietro um uh, I think Elizabeth Olsen's performance as Wanda slightly outshines Aaron uh, yeah. Aaron's performance here. Yeah, well, she's um, got
0: more to work with.
3: Yeah, she's got more to work with. But I, I think, un- unfortunately for this film, um, I, I think this film as a whole is better than Days of Future Past. You don't but- say. <laughs> <laughs> But the I, I have to say the depiction of Quicksilver in Days of Future Past really caught me off guard and I was really impressed with it. Mm. And I don't think this depiction of Quicksilver is quite as interesting as that mm. one. Um, just mainly because you You talked about it on on your podcast. You talked about how Quicksilver feels like he's waiting for everyone to catch up and, yeah, yeah. and there's so much depth um that, that that action sequence of Quicksilver in Days of Future Past, it's it's fun and it's fantastic to watch, but it speaks a lot to that character as well. Mm. Um, just his perspective on the world and how he views everything that's going on around him.
0: Whereas well, I in- do still call bullshit on that Walkman situation. You know, when he's running around, if I could save time in a bottle. During that whole sequence, all Quicksilver would have been able to hear from his Walkman was... <laughs> Unless it was running at like super fast forward or something. No, no, because it would explode. He may, yeah, he may be a pretty good, uh, like, rewiring shit, but you can't make a Walkman go as fast as him. Yeah. Uh, he, he ran faster than bullets, so uh, that he wouldn't have been able to hear shit from that Walkman.
3: Yeah, true enough.
0: <laughs> but- <laughs> For a rather more eerie version of events, uh, listen to that tiny fragment of the beginning of the song stretched out over only eight seconds. Now imagine, I mean, that, that whole sequence took place over, what, 30 seconds? This would be three times more creepy. For a realistic idea of what it might maybe have sounded like, uh, watch Dread, because uh, the, the bits with that, that psychedelic drug that sort of slows down time, what they've actually done is taken a Justin Bieber song, I'm not kidding about this, and extended it over a long, long, long period of time, just the very, very beginning of that. It's actually a cover version, so they wouldn't have to pay Bieber the rights. It's very unsettling. For perspective, that's only 800% slower, so Quicksilver wouldn't have got any of that. Doesn't make it any less of an awesome scene.
3: And just, unfortunately... Uh, i, I you, you know you can't help but compare this quicksilver to that quicksilver and and that's not to say that w- what the quicksilver we saw wasn't uh good like i i really enjoyed this quicksilver and i think he added a lot especially to the hostage uh, rescue sequences it yeah. paid it it really helped having a character who could move that quickly to react to say a train going through a uh, a street or or what have you um but ultimately, I think his his character helped develop Hawkeye's character, yeah. and 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 his character fed into that character more than developed. Uh, it felt like yeah, the character kind of existed to develop another character rather than uh, be developed in his in its in his own right. Yeah. Three you know.
0: uh, Tony as well because uh, of confronting him with the shit that he he'd still been responsible for, and of course, Wanda. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Ultron as well. Technically, he uh, he he fed into that. The, there's also um, a lot of people were like, oh, you you, you how you you kill him, and you've only just started. Blah 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 blah. There's a very practical reason to actually not have Quicksilver as an ongoing Avenger, and why it's taken so long for him to appear at all. It's such a fucking great power. And it's such a catch-all power, literally catch-all power. You negate people like Steve Rogers. What's the point of having Captain America there if Quicksilver can do all of his work? Apart from all the inspirational stuff. It's um, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's, it, it, it's a nightmare to have to then write an action. Every single action sequence Quicksilver's party 2, to then not have to ask yourself, well, why can't Quicksilver just do all of this?
1: Yeah. It's why he w- he was out of Days of Future Past as quickly as yeah. he was in, because
0: right, the whole situation would We're going to go to a situation where catching a bullet in midair would be really fucking useful.
1: <laughs> you know, another thing, I only realized, watching it the second time, both uh, both Quicksilvers were depicted by stars
0: from... kick uh, Kickass. Kick-Ass. Yep. They must have fun get-togethers. Yeah. <laughs> So, which of in our quicksilvers I, quick I, is coming back? I wonder. I think
1: I did read some um, uh He did call up a... I forget. The um, one from Days of Future Past, he did call him up and ask
0: him for some pointers. Quicksilver tips. Mm. <laughs> Evan Peters. Ah, Okay, Wanda. I, I did not expect her to be quite as creepy as she was. Yeah. Like, you know, oh. when they, like, after her first little, like, when she pe- appears, she's got the glowing red eyes. And then she walks backwards through a door when it closes. She was so unnerving.
2: I, I love the fact that she's called Scarlet Witch. And they they use kind of an old school, almost B-horror movie of just speeding up the film for mm. some of her yeah. effects. Like, when she walks yeah. backwards through that door very quickly. It's just an old, practical effect. But it really feeds into that witch. It's almost like Scarlet um blair witch you know like that kind of thing like it's throwing yeah, yeah, back yeah. to that is it, really it, good.
3: It, it felt like a, a horror movie in those moments like yeah, it, yeah. it very much felt like something like the ring or, or something yeah. like that with the you know the creepy uh the girl that could just uh, do all all sorts of horrible things to you if mm. if she gets her hands on you and in, in, in a sense that's true because she shows you the, the worst fear that is in your in your head like she she is capable of really tearing you apart and the inside I, uh, yeah and uh, i I was really surprised by this character. She she ended up being absolutely one of the highlights of the movie, yeah. and uh, it's just great to have another female character yeah. alongside Scarlet Witch. Um, and you, you were mentioning like Quicksilver dying. I think another reason why it makes sense for that character to die is just there's so many white dudes in the Avengers <laughs> at this point <laughs> that you can uh, spare one. You can sp- yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I would rather have Wanda become mm. a full member of the team than Quicksilver at this point because mm. we need some diversity in that team. Oh, um, just, yes.
4: As well, it, it does tie in with the fact that her her character in the comics, apart from the fact that her powers are very psychologically based, mm. um, her character, any development that she's, uh, or that the primary development that she's experienced has been on a psychological slant Mm. and, uh, and her main storyline is, is it the house of M.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was my favorite, Um,
4: which is about her dealing with loss and how she copes with that. Mm. Um, And I think to bring a little, I mean, obviously that whole storyline isn't something that they're ever going to be able to play out because they don't have Magneto and and all the, the X-Men related parts. But I think that was a way to bring in a fragment of what people who knew that character would recognize from her and would find a point of connection with her in that and in her reaction to that. And yeah, I mean, I I've seen Elizabeth Olsen in just in Godzilla, I think. It was was,
0: really creepy uh, after having seen the trailers for this, then seeing her dry humping Aaron Taylor Johnson in Godzilla, her brother so <laughs> <name>. <laughs>
2: oh, yeah.
0: sorry carry on, carry on Sharon
4: to, to finish my point just um, she, she didn't um, it was a very small role and she didn't really do much and when people said oh yeah she's going to be in, in Age of Ultron I was thinking well I don't know is, is she really going to be capable of anything particularly powerful and my god she just so impressed me
1: yeah one oh. of the touches I really liked that they did was the way that she moves her fingers and hands mm. like like they sort of twitch and echo around someone's head. Yeah. Like it, it actually made my fingers twitch whenever she did it. Like, cause you get the sensation of locking up certain fingers and making them do that. Yeah.
3: Mm. Yeah. Well, it's like watching a puppet master. Like mm. that, that's what she is. She's a manipulator. Yeah, she's,
4: she's tweaking. And, and to make somebody who, who is that creepy and that, um, uh, able to reach in and, and, play with your innermost self with ease to, to be able to make that person sympathetic and somebody that you you ultimately end up feeling for and relating to that's a hell of a job and she pulled it off. Yeah. Also uh,
0: the the very beginning, the first thing that happens uh is you get to see the twins and they're scared out of their minds. Because uh, the Avengers are coming. You get to see what it's like to be on the opposing force when the Avengers are coming for you. That is not a place you want to be.
1: But they're also anxious because while they are scared, it's like this is their opportunity. Yeah. We can finally strike
0: back at them. Yeah. But uh, it's it, it's that kind of played into the fact that when the um, uh, uh, Iron Legion touched down and starts saying, you know, please do not be alarmed. Uh, someone that, you know, people have drawn over stocks, um, Iron Man graffiti on the wall with green dollar signs on the face. The Avengers are not massively popular outside of their home turf. And uh, that was something that definitely needed addressing. And the fact that this film takes it to a... uh, Originally, Whedon promised a smaller story. And technically, this is the kind of event that gets mentioned on the news. But they can't really talk about how fucking close humanity came to extinction there. Or at least a really serious incident. Uh, All they can really say is the Avengers kind of saved the day over in this place and in Scrivovia. Um, The
1: city literally no longer exists.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they they didn't save the city. They did save the people. But it's uh, it, it's it's a great way of showing they had to earn that by the end. They had to actually. I, I would ch- the kind of kind of people that go, oh, you know, these like, heroes allowing people to die. I challenge anybody to conduct themselves in a way that prioritizes people more than the Avengers do in this film. If you put in that situation,
1: yeah, one. That is one of the key things that they do is that they focus on the evacuation of people. Yeah, like something that most m- most movies like gloss over is the fact that these ordinary people who are trapped within a battlefield. Yeah. yeah, Like you need to evacuate them.
0: I thought it would be just like, right, we've cleared the city, now we can fight all the robots, and like that it would be nice and easy. But they focused on the fact that it, it takes a long time to clear that many people, and that's right at the point when they're at their most vulnerable
3: even during the fight between Hulk and uh, Iron Man, yeah, uh the, the, yeah. the citizens are very present. Um mm. and, and the a lot of the dread in that scene is not uh you know, fear for Tony, but fear for everyone around them. Yeah. And, it, and and the camera's not ignoring those people. It's drawing yeah. your attention towards them and going, mm. look at what could happen if at any at any moment like Iron Man or or the Hulk made the, uh, the wrong move or the wrong step like people could have died a lot mm. of people could have died and and you know iron uh, tony chooses to end the fight by uh, shoving uh Hulk into you know a construction site that has been abandoned and he 's choosing that as a battlefield because he knows the mm. least amount of people are going to be hurt, but even still like they do show you all the people who have got mm. you know scars and what have you from the rubble of that like p- people haven 't died but they 've certainly been injured uh, as a consequence of these two you know these two uh like mm. godlike being uh godlike beings having a scrap with each other. And that's so refreshing to focus in on that and actually show the consequence when Man of Steel felt like, oh, well, they're God. crashing into all these buildings. I'm sure everyone's fine. But the thousands and thousands of people who died because Zod and, and uh, Superman had to smack each other through skyscraper after skyscraper. And then suddenly these two people right at the end, that's when Superman's worried about... Mm. Uh, uh, <laughs> Uh, human
0: life. It's- Max Landis actually said people complaining about Superman snapping Zod's neck in that, spoiler warning but that's what happens um, That, that, that they're saying that that was unconscionable and Superman wouldn't do that. No, Superman would do that mm. because he's not responsible for Zod he has to prevent Zod killing Thousands, possibly millions, maybe even billions of people. He would what? weigh it up very, very quickly and decide. I got to cross the line here because this dude's an adult and he's a fucking psychopath with global destruction at his uh, at his fingertips. Got to do it, and it would happen that fast. And it would happen before Zod became super powerful. That's what actually would have happened.
1: Yeah, he wouldn't actively throw people into skyscrapers. <laughs>
0: <sighs> but, that's like, that wrecks that. Banner. Like, immediately when they're flying away and they're mm. all just, like, they're, they're standing around in the, in the Quinjet, not knowing what to say and Banner's just, like, a wreck in that blanket, that's why Hulk leaves at the end. Like, he yeah. can't one, allow that to happen again. He needs to go somewhere quiet and alone. One
1: one one of the ways I, like, described his Bruce Banner is a suicidal person mm. who can't kill himself. He's literally <sighs> yeah. tried and hasn't been able to. Yeah,
0: But, I mean, it's it's not even... Banner who makes that decision it's hulk as you said like when he sees the people uh, all all terrified of him hulk takes that on board yeah and hulk decides to go that's heartbreaking cuz hulk's a child yeah and and hulk looks at what hulk does and is ashamed in that same way that banner is ha oh.
2: god this film's
0: good I mean, it's not as good as Winter Soldier, but it's fucking good. Yeah,
2: I would be really curious to see... So we see what Scarlet Witch puts in everybody's minds, except for Banner. And I'd be really curious what that was that drove him I, to do it. Do you know what I think
3: that... The thing is, I think I know what it is, and we saw it. Uh, the Hulk, the Rage Monster, the the out-of-control beast that... Banner is afraid that the Hulk is mm. that that's what was in his mind and that's why he was thrashing out and acting the way he was this is what, what we're seeing up until he sees the damage he's causing and, and snaps out of it we are seeing Banner's projection of the Hulk in his own head we are seeing what Banner is terrified the Hulk could be uh, under the wrong circumstances yeah. Ultron
0: yes. Uh, you know, yeah. we shouldn't have approached this in any other way than just going down a list of fantastic characters I, I defy you guys to find a movie with quite so many really excellent characters all lined up that they so, like so many great characters they don't literally don't have time to give them all their their dues Ultron watching all the trailers he seemed like Megatron it was like you know I'm going to tear you in part from the inside no strings da, 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 da. Th- again I had no clue Ultron was going to be funny yeah
1: never going watched trailers
0: really awkward and weird and wouldn't quite know what he's doing and, and uh, to almost be this guy who's new in town doesn't you know
1: well, doesn't they- know what to do with himself they hammer home that Ultron is like, it's like Tony said, it, he's a true artificial intelligence. He is a person mm. that they extracted from the gem. Mm. And he he comes with the flaws of a person, the closed-mindedness and the fears that come with being an actual yeah. sentient, like being who fears death and knows of
0: death. That's not in the comics though, is it? The Ultron no, no. that's very oh, no, really no. much the
1: robotic type. I'm so glad they didn't go for the robotic. Like, I'm just going to destroy all humans because I'm Skynet.
0: Yeah, but but they even like basically said, look, he could just get to the missiles, ergo he's Skynet. Vision just kept him out of that, or Jarvis did. Um, But basically if if he's not just humans must all die then he's like philosophizing then he's just the architect for the matrix you've the, to to get him to be more than that you kind of have to take him to the point where he is unsure of himself
1: I mean yeah. just that wake up scene at the start mm. like he's like oh, where, where am I like he's like someone waking up yeah
3: you you know how <laughs> on, on several podcasts i 've described computers as idiots That's stupid, yeah. <laughs> idiots who have access to it's the world 's largest library i i can 't think of a better description for ultron really he 's not an idiot, but he he 's a person he, he is a, he is a toddler who has access to infinite knowledge mm. but has none of the life experience to know what to do with it yeah. um uh, just he he sees all the disasters uh, that humankind have you know committed and all the atrocities and all of that stuff in a flash uh, in an instant yeah and he comes to the conclusion well it's not worth it then we need to we need to move past this we it's not this isn't worth saving we need something new and he he hasn't had the time to process that look Like, this is all part of a cycle that's been happening for, you know, millions of years. Things are created, things are destroyed, things are created again. You can't just decide something's imperfect and build something perfect. That's not how life works.
0: So you're saying basically that he develops the intelligence of the average YouTube poster, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I I prefer to put teeth in the big piece, big pitch but doesn't get it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. The Where's uh, YouTube poster. <laughs> yeah.
3: But that that's that's so much more fascinating than I'm a robot must kill all humans must kill all humans. That that th- is, that's oh, want to
0: kill all humans.
1: <laughs> it's just I love it, his um sorry go on Josh.
3: I think you're going to say what I'm going to say, so I'll let you say it. Uh, Your sexy little. Well, Will.
1: Here, here's where <laughs> we find out if that's true. Uh, <laughs> um, I love his, um, like his constant reference and sort like pseudo obsession with a religion. Mm. The fact that he's constantly quoting like biblical, uh, like Ragnarok and like God sends down his massive. Uh, Sword to wipe the earth clean, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like he becomes obsessed with that sort of biblical. We need Noah. Yeah, we need to wipe out the world so it can start again. Yeah. Was that close, Josh?
3: Actually, I thought you were going to mention his conversation with Vision right at the end.
1: Oh, I was Um, going to wait till Vision. But go on, go on.
3: Which I... I I mean, we'll get on to Vision later, but I I consider that to be, like, that's the cap for the movie. That conversation with him and Vision Mm. uh, kind of encapsulates, like, what Ultron was all about. He's terrified. He's afraid that uh, at any moment he'll be wiped off the- and he's alone like he's the only one of him apart from vision um and just to have that conversation between two people who are outside of humanity um who are arguably superior to humanity just having just completely opposing views but they're they're t- you know they're being like a mutual respect of each other um and 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 ultimately, vision just taking a longer view on things. I think uh, w- the problem that Ultron has is that he has um, no patience. He has no patience. Yeah, uh, he 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 has a lot of. You know, it seems like uh, Ultron's picked up a lot of um, Tony's Tony. character yeah. flaws, and Tony definitely has no patience. Um, Obviously, Ultron takes things to an extreme that Tony never could, but that I think that is entirely because Tony has lived a life where he has seen his uh, efforts fail and, and everything crumble around him and then have to rebuild himself, you know, whereas Ultron is a naive child who has, hasn't tasted failure and doesn't know what it means to lose and doesn't know what it means to compromise.
1: He's literally a product of Stark's fear, and he's inherited that
0: fear. Yeah, I love how, like, the way that Whedon would have directed James Spader. It's not so much you don't know you're a robot, or you don't know what a robot should act like. You're just being you. Yeah, or something. I, I think, that think you just yeah. you're a person. Yeah.
2: yeah. James Spader You're- used his own voice. Joss mm. Whedon very specifically, he had one person in mind when he cast Ultron, and it was yeah. James Spader, and mm. when he brought him on, he's like, I just want you to speak like you. Just be you. And he's like, okay. <laughs> 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 um. And I, I love the fact to reinforce kind of Ultron's humanity and that toddler-like uh, motif that you were talking about. The one thing he quotes more than anything else over and over again is a song from a Disney movie.
0: Freaking mm-hmm. like Pinocchio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Something that in the in the um, the lead up to it, all the promotions. I think it was very intentional to make him seem like this dark, brooding, like ultra villain. But in the end, even that uh, kind of haunting, dark version of that melody comes down to almost sad as he's driving the quinjet onto uh, like shooting at hawkeye in that end he's humming that tune Mm. and it's it's almost sad like a like a kid uh singing a song that they particularly like when something horrible is going on or like the world is cascading around them out of their control they're just trying to grab on to one bit of comfort and for him it's like that song
0: so it was—it was it an was a, a amazing way of like veering back and forth between uh, tone. Again, tone's one of the things I, I obsess about in films. When Quicksilver has. Died uh, in front of that child who impact on his face, and then after Hawkeye kind of curls up next to him when they they get onto the lifeboat, and there's that kind of you know you're still worried about Hawkeye, but it's just it's to illustrate how close he came, how many of those bullets were meant for him. It then immediately cuts to the Hulk barreling onto this uh, jet, and like you can't see, you don't see him actually fight Ultron. There's just this, oh for God's sake! And then he gets <laughs> flung out of the back. Yeah, yeah. it's just <laughs> the most offhand way of dealing with a villain. If they had to get in a, a puny god moment. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And and then the fact that it's then Scarlet Witch who actually deals with him. It's not Tony. It's uh, uh, she. She trusted him. And as a result, her brother died. And so there needs to be that, that sense of, um, I suppose, justice on her part. Like she's kind of making amends for her failure to see what he was made of.
4: But also in a sense that she's the person who has the most right to yeah. take him down. Because ultimately, if he is a person and not just a, a you know, mustache twirling villain, mm. then... It's not that simple to just say, well, he's clearly evil. We have every every right here to tear him to pieces. Yeah. There needs to be a good reason. And she has a personal reason. And for most interpretations, those are the best reasons.
0: Ah, actually, now that I think about it, she only destroyed the Ultron Prime. His consciousness then went to that final drone unit, which Vision then... Just which
4: destroyed. Vision dealt with. And again, Vision has the most right to put him down because he's his brother, and he's the person who Ultron should have been.
5: Yeah.
2: Although, speaking of that, and kind of going back to something that you said about Strucker, it is such a shame that they just off him. I mean, I, I kind of hold out a little bit of hope that He had another unit hidden somewhere or something, some kind of contingency, but I'm not sure if the character as portrayed is going to have that forethought.
0: The amount of bitching people did about the Mandarin, at least they played a great gag with the Mandarin. You got a great character out of it, and they can kind of reverse it in the future. Without racism. Make a stop.
4: He has a blue fairy too.
0: He does, yeah. The moment
4: when he's talking to, is it Helen? Yes, the geneticist. We also uh, got Helen, and she's in um, blue light, which reflects off her white lab coat mm. and uh, makes her look like the blue fairy. And he's
0: saying, you've got to make me a real live boy made of vibranium. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, Vision.
1: Ah uh, yes, didn't see it coming. At you didn't all. really. No, I- some of like the didn't posters. Watch. I don't look at any promotional oh,
0: things right. for
4: things
1: I'm going to watch. Wow. So I didn't see him coming at all.
4: Right. Even I when admire they your restraint. John. Not only
0: did I see him coming, I predicted that there would be a f- uh, two-face level, like he is going to be majorly important to the plot, but only in the third act. I even said so on the forum.
1: Yeah. Even when they put the gem inside the... um. Inside the stasis pod, I mm. didn't see it, so it was a huge surprise for me. Oh, awesome! A happy I really envy you then. Yeah, yeah I this
3: happen um, I, I, I think it says a lot that the the only complaint I have about Vision is that there just wasn't
0: enough of him.
3: Yeah. Um, I I think Paul Bettany was fantastic, and he always is. is. Oh, yeah. Pretty I
0: can't nice. think of a single time he's been anything less than fantastic. Yeah.
3: Even in terrible movies Paul Bettany's uh, usually yeah. the best thing in it. I don't know if you've seen oh what's it called uh, the horrible um, That's number one. Uh, no, the 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 Bible is lying film. What was oh,
2: it? Oh
0: shit. Um uh, Tom Hanks running a lot.
2: Oh, The Da Vinci Code? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh god, seriously? <laughs> yeah, Paul Bettany was
3: the best thing in that film. He was also
0: yeah. that one with the angel with the machine guns. Yeah.
3: What? Yeah. Okay, let's talk about vision, <laughs> and, please. Let's talk about vision. Um <laughs> I I what I liked um about this character is that they really uh focused in on kind of him being the 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 uh the evolution of humankind rather than just being a robot, yeah. which is what he's kind of been in In the comic books, he's just kind of, oh, he's an android that looks kind of humanoid. Like an awesome
0: Frankenstein's monster
3: yeah whereas here he's kind of like a symbol for what we should all uh, aim to be and having him lift Four's car- uh, hammer uh, is really symbolic of that it's like he is worthy of that power because he is a true noble spirit mm.
0: um, I did I s- love by the way Steve like moving it a little bit and thought yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: even Lyra loved that bit <laughs> yeah Whosoever be he worthy shall have the power. Whatever, man, it's a trick. No, it is much more than that,
1: my friend. <laughs> if I lift it, do I get to rule last guard? Yes, of course. I will be fair, but firmly cruel.
5: <clears throat> be right back.
0: Are you even pulling? Are you on my team? Just represent, pull. All right, let's go. <clears throat> Come on, cow. Nothing.
1: Oh, no, no, that's not a question I need answered. The handle's imprinted. Whosoever is carrying Thor's fingerprints is, I think, the literal translation. Yes, that's a very interesting theory. I have a simpler one.
5: You're all not worthy.
1: (laughs) How could you be worthy? You're all puppets, tangled in strings.
0: Seriously, that line about being fair but firmly cruel was way better than what they used in the final film, which is, I will be reinstating Prima Nocta, which is, uh, first on the first night of any maiden's marriage, I get to rape her. So, yeah, well done on that. It's okay, uh, you know what, it's, it's fine. It's fine for Loki to say, that is my bargain, you mulling quim, because he's a villain. And he's trying to fuck with her at that point. It's not okay for Tony to talk about that. It's the only, like, the tiny issue I had. They could still correct that in the edit for the extended edition, by the way. There are no strings on me. Ah! Back to Vision. The
1: best, one of the best lines he has is when he says, I'm on the side of life. Like, he says, like, I believe Ultron is a unique being who should be able to exist, but unfortunately, he's created a situation where he no longer can. And the fact that he's on the side of living beings, like he's sin, he's sin. Like the fact that everything's a cycle; everything will eventually die. Like the hu- the human race is doomed, but it doesn't mean that we can't cherish and hold dear what's actually here, right then, right now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, what I love the most about the vision is while Ultron is very much Stark's child, vision feels more like a child of the Avengers as a whole because it was um like it was uh, Hawkeye and Black Widow and Captain America that saved the cradle with the the synthesoid body in it, and then it was Stark and Banner that started like uploaded Jarvis into it, and then it was Thor that actually gave it the the jolt at the end. So it was like a collective effort of everybody, whether they meant to or not. Um,
4: nice yeah. bringing the
2: vision together so the vision kind of represents um what could have what Ultron could have been if Stark had done it with other people in a sense in in mm. in my mind the vision's almost a a walking embodiment of the power and the heart of the avengers as a team
1: but i i also like that the fact that technically he is a failure like both him and Ultron are failures. They're just failures in completely different ways.
0: You want to elaborate on that? Uh, yeah, I
1: yeah please. I would say Ultron was supposed to be the protector of the Earth, and he ends up being the Great Destroyer of it, whereas um, Vision was supposed to be Ultron's Great Destroyer, and instead he he's the exact opposite. He's on the side of preserving all life if possible. I'm looking forward to future movies where he ends up being he ends up uh, going against what the Avengers actually
0: want. True, yeah, if they can keep um Bettany around for that. Uh I mean also they have a slight amount of flexibility on who can how the vision is embodied. Yeah. Um but uh, yeah they should definitely keep him around as much as possible. I did not expect him to be as pure as yeah. he was. He's, uh often starts out as somebody who's going to be an antagonist for the Avengers. He hunts them down and uh, is actually remarkably effective at taking them out. He does a lot more phasing. But um, the, the the positioning him as what Ultron could and should have been, it was an elaboration of the Frankenstein story. Also the mythology of the golem, yeah, if you will. Just the idea that, you know, had Victor been able to continue in a less of a fatalistic way, uh, it's possible he could have imbued something with uh, what we would consider a soul or humanity, or something even transcending that. Instead, he creates something that doesn't quite know what it's doing and ends up destroying. Just in the case of Ultron, it's a grander scale than that. On a side note, that means that uh, as Frankenstein's monster, Ultron should really have destroyed uh his creators one true love which would have been pepper so i'm kind of glad pepper wasn't in this film it would have put her in in dreadful danger even though her absence much like the arc reactor weakens tony's character this is the first time he's had to get by without her and it he feels diminished as a result But I do like the way that they explained Vision's look, including his uh, cape. The only other cape in the MCU seems to be uh, worn by Thor. Uh, And Vision was inspired by Thor.
4: In terms of the creation of artificial intelligence, though, could it be argued that you cannot imbue something with a soul? You can't give something a soul. That's something it has to acquire for itself.
0: Indeed. Well... Jarvis had already achieved and acquired that over many, many years. Mm. It seems like um, Jarvis is the sum totality of all of the, his experiences, much like what we would consider to be a person and indeed their soul. Uh, so, you know, the fact that in his dying moments, he devoted himself to keeping uh, Ultron at bay from the rest of humanity's launch codes, uh, kind of that that was his uh, passing the trials that Pinocchio has to pass to become a real live boy. Uh, yeah. It's pleasure.
5: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think ultimately, following on the heels of my favorite film of all time, this was going to have a really tough time of, of topping that. Um, one of the things that I love the most about Avengers Assemble is... How new everything is and everyone meeting each other and going, oh my God. The clashes that occurred then. And in the films that we've had, the only really new headlining characters are still way out in space somewhere. So there was no opportunity to really introduce that sense of novelty. And Scarlet Witch and and, uh, Quicksilver didn't have enough time to ingratiate themselves upon the team. Neither did Vision. Uh, Because there was already so many established heroes. But later... Yeah, you know, in phase three, there's a hell of a lot of new heroes turning up. So I, I have huge hopes uh, looking for, for that same sense of like finally bringing this team together again, Infinity War. And obviously I have major investment in what's going to happen in Civil War. I am very excited about that and somewhat trepidatious.
3: I really enjoyed this movie, but I don't think it's the like the absolute best of the best that Marvel Studios has presented us. I think the characters are really strong in this movie, um, the dialogue's fantastic, but I think there's some slightly sloppy pacing and slightly sloppy editing in this movie. And coming off of the Winter Soldier, which all of that stuff it excelled at, like mm. it's a perfectly like it's a really lean movie that's really well edited and that it's pitch perfectly paced it's just it's a fantastic movie from a craft perspective Mm. and i think for me like guardians of the galaxy for whatever reason tapped into something really personal with me and has ended up being my favorite of the marvel studios movies just because of all of them uh, of all the marvel studio movies wow. guardians of the galaxy's favourite. Did you favorite. miss our
0: guardians show? Were you on that? Uh I wasn't on that, no.
2: Oh man. Sorry. Oh no, I was just going to say you're not the only one Josh.
3: Yeah, yeah. I I th- that movie I I don't I don't know what to say. This is the Avengers Age of Ultron uh podcast, not the Guardians of the Galaxy. I just wanted to get it out there that Guardians of the Galaxy is a really personal movie for me. Um so it, it doesn't it doesn't quite hit the same level as the first Avengers, Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy for me, but it's definitely a strong entry in Marvel Studios uh library and uh I I think uh, I'm I'm really excited for what comes after it.
0: It's my number four, and, and following the order you just said. Avengers Assemble, <laughs> Winter Soldier, Guardians, which I also absolutely adore. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it's so strong. These are like... It's it's basically it's comparing five-star films with other five-star films.
3: Yeah, absolutely. What I'm talking about really is the nuanced stuff. That's yeah. what I'm comparing, and... Um, I think there's an argument, uh, although it's not my personal favourite, there's an argument to be made that Winter Soldier is the best film from a filmmaking perspective. Um, It's just just, the craft in that movie is amazing. And it was a bit disappointing that some of the special effects in this movie are not as sharp and, and all of that stuff. But really... You you only nitpick like this when you are comparing movies of this quality.
0: They're all Hattori Hanzo (laughs) songs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not the case across all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There are definitely films that are the lesser ones. But these, yeah, thought I (laughs) was Iron Man three, but um, the Iron Man two, but these at the very top. It's 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 kind of reassuring, as I said at the very beginning, that Avengers. Age of Ultron is not the best of the bunch because that would imply that you need this scale, this amount of uh, people, this amount of characters and uh, and different threads all working at once to achieve the absolute best which no other film can really do it, it's heartening to know that you can just do it with Guardians, just with five newcomers, you can just do it with Winter Soldier and focus on Steve, you can like, the Avengers Assemble a lot fewer heroes, but my God, what a film that is. My God, I love Avengers Assemble.
2: Uh, To me, uh, Age of Ultron compared to Avengers Assemble is, to me, also kind of uh, in the same way that I can compare, um, I want to say, Winter Soldier to Guardians of the Galaxy, where I can say that Winter Soldier is probably the best, like, mechanically of the movies, I still liked Guardians the most, and, and just more. And while I think, at least for me, I think a lot of stuff that was going on in Age of Ultron works on a thematic level a lot more than in Avengers Assemble, I just liked Avengers Assemble more. There was something more like cathartic about it than uh, Age of Ultron. But I think Age of Ultron has like more going on in a lot of ways. Um, in much the same way that you know I loved Guardians way, uh, more than Winter Soldier, but I think Winter Soldier has a lot more going on. It's like a more... Uh, complex experience.
0: I loved what uh, Bob Chipman said about there's actually, a, I, I never cottoned to this. It's so obvious. There's a meta story going on in Avengers Assemble where all of those people talking to Nick Fury and all the executives saying, we don't think this is going to work. Not to mention the people who are thinking this isn't going to work. Not to mention the press who are saying this isn't going to work. This is Marvel's C-Team. We've been waiting for years for this to happen, guys. You've been teasing us with all of these films. Iron Man 2 is just a teaser for the Avengers. How dare it be? This isn't going to work. Just deliver us this film so we can move on to the next thing. And um, Nick Fury is like, well I believe in heroes, and don't you believe in heroes, audience? Turns to them, clap your hands if you believe in heroes. And then that bit where they all rear up and it's... Duh, 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 duh. And it's like, clap your hands! I do believe in heroes! I do! I do! And that joy of Avengers Assemble is so hard to get again. But somehow they keep managing it. Because uh, I mean, like, uh, really, this Age of Ultron is a lot more joyful than it really has any right to be. There's a lot of tragedy going on in here. Quite a quite a lot of death. Quite a lot of uh, heartache. Um, and and somehow they managed to come away from it all smiling. And and you get that sort of uh, the 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 assembling moment at the end with the new team. And uh, you know, you want to talk about diversity? Two black guys, two ladies, one white guy, and a guy with a red face who's actually a computer a
2: synthesoid, please
0: a th- synthesoid, sorry um but but yeah the the you know that that's that speaks well of the fact that they're going to be progressing onwards and it won't be quite so much like a friggin abercrombie and fitch poster because ultimately they they can step away from their, their the the core three and a hulk We'll finish now, but uh, we're going to end on on that piece of music. Uh, Before we go, I'm going to play you folks the trailer for Tiger's Eye, which is the new story in phase one of New Century. I'm doing away with the whole idea of seasons. It's phase one. Cartographer's Handbook, Secret Rooms, and now Tiger's Eye. And like Marvel's phase one, you don't have to do them all in order. You can pick them up at any point. So if you want to start a completely different series, a completely different character, a completely different world, Tiger's Eye.
5: We are alone
0: save for the moon.
1: Something has been brought into our
0: village. I sprang up and alight the Cathedral of Trees.
1: Plundering these dark places, they found a magic there they did not understand, but were so eager to possess that they took it without thought or permission and gave nothing in return.
5: You could sleep for a long time. Let yourself heal. You carry
3: the beast alone.
4: That is not what concerns me. I am invisible
5: i am still i am
1: ready
0: This is when I am most
5: vulnerable.
2: Ruminate on these words. All of you. Though we know the stories, there is always more to learn by looking deeper.
0: special sponsors this month were Nick Grugan, Joel Robinson, Russell Osborne, Maureen Foley, James Dower, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Lorraine Chisham, Livio De La Cruz, Scott Corzine, and Erish Traverse. And to everyone else who has been supporting us on the Patreon, a big thank you. Now, if you aren't able to support us with dollars, there are other ways you can help. What New Century needs right now is visibility. It needs more people coming across it. So, four or five star iTunes ratings. That will help us climb the charts of uh, audio dramas on iTunes. Fifty of them, and that's a clear indication of a compelling show. Worthy of people's attention. Which it absolutely is. And if you can make the time to say a few kind words in a review, that all helps the show gain visibility and gets it into the ears of new listeners. So if you want to pay me back for eight years of podcasting and hundreds and hundreds of entertaining hours, this is how you can pay me back. This is how you can do something awesome. This is how you can help the shows you love reach new ears. So if you're not listening to New Century yet, listen to it. And Tiger's Eye Episode 1 is a great place to start. And if you like it, four or five star reviews on iTunes. That's all. Okay, right. thank you all very, very much. We will be back next week with Jurassic Park and then later this year with Ant-Man as we continue and finish off Marvel's Phase 2. Thank you very much to Sharon Shaw. Thank you. Joshua Garrity.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Lauren Grieve.
2: Thank you.
0: And Jerome McIntosh. No worries. I've been Alex Shaw.
4: I've been Sharon Shaw.
0: And Avengers...